All right, fifth and long fans, welcome back to part two of this week's episode. Got a lot of NFL coverage in this one for you, some fantasy football stuff as well. We're excited for this one. Paul and I are loving the show so far. We hope you are as well. Follow us on the socials. You can find the links to all those in the bio of this episode. And most importantly, of course, enjoy the show. NFL week this past week. Uh, we'll start with some of the, the highlight games. Philly, Dallas, Dallas, Philly, however you want to say it. Cowboys, uh, huge win at home. You and I, I gave you a chance to to get your bet money back on this you spread. Did. And I told you the Cowboys were going to win this game. Even a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, whether I thought how I thought this game would go on a neutral site and how I thought it would go in Dallas, I said I thought they were going to win this game. Cowboys are now undefeated at home they're seven and zero at home and they're tied for the one seed um they're gonna have their work cut out for them to to get that one seed but if they could get it that's that's huge man that's an undefeated record at home i think it's a real home field advantage too i don't think there are true real home field advantages in the nfl anymore but the cowboys have one of them um arrowhead stadium has always been talked about about or recently at least, excuse me, recently at least has been talked about. Denver is definitely one with the Denver. thin air. Denver is a big one. Yeah. Uh, Arrowhead, but I wouldn't necessarily put Arrowhead in there right now after how many games the Chiefs have lost at home this year. I think they're like four and three in Kansas City. Um, the Phillies, the, the Eagles, though, not the Phillies. Jeez, I'm still thinking baseball. Uh, the Eagles, though, two gut punch losses in a row against the two teams you're fighting against for that one seed, like the tiebreakers aren't in your favor anymore. Now you pretty much have to play your best football down the stretch to get that bye week. And how the guys looked on the sideline, not just after this game, but after the the Niners game as well. Do you remember seeing the clip of Jalen Carter crying at the end of that Niners game? Vaguely. Yeah. And then they've got this where like, they're showing Jalen Hurts on the sidelines. It looks like somebody like shot his dog or something, like pulled a John Wick on him. I mean, they look so depressed. Like their Super Bowl was in week 13 and week 14 of the season. That's what it looked like. And they're still a great team, and they're going to beat some good teams down the stretch. Like I, I'm not discounting Philly as a Super Bowl contender, but I am questioning their toughness. And I think Dallas has that. Like you look at the way Dak is playing, and I talked about it last week. Like you see it, you see a quarterback elevate his level of play. There's typically success that comes with it. That's what's happening with the Cowboys. Dak is playing at an elite level. He's making all the throws. He's making his guys better. He's making Jake Ferguson look like Travis Kelsey out there. He already kind of looks like him, like physically, but I mean, like in terms of his numbers. I'm high on the Cowboys, man, and I'm a little lower on, on Philly. Um, I don't necessarily like them in neutral site games. I don't necessarily like them away from Philadelphia either. So we'll have to see what happens. But Mike McCarthy is, is trusting Dak. He's leaning on him. He's saying, we <laughs> screw the run game, man. 
we don't need to feed Pollard or Rico Dowdle or, or, or anybody. We're just going to give Dak the ball 40, 45 times a game and let him win the game for us. And that's what he's been doing. So as long as it lasts, it's a great strategy. We'll see how long it does. But Dak's the MVP favorite right now. At last time I checked, uh, it I, was. Go ahead. I said it's tight between him and Purdy. Yeah, right now I see him as a plus 150 favorite, but he's the favorite and it's well deserved. He's got less to work with than Purdy does. Uh, we had that discussion a little bit last week as well. Um, but yeah, man, go Cowboys, go. This is a huge win for them. It felt like their biggest win in, in a while, honestly, like in a few years. Well, definitely this year. Uh, first, before I go into my analysis of this game, yes, I admit I am now 0-2 on bets <laughs> with Patrick DeMar on the podcast. You got my Venmo the other day for both of the bets, right? I did, yeah. All right. I'll give good. you a chance to win it back again this week. And I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll, yeah. we'll come up with one before the end of the show, for sure. Now into the analysis of the game. I'm actually not quite as concerned about the Eagles as you are. I This little skid that they're on now reminds me a little bit of the three-game losing streak that San Francisco went on. And I thought earlier in the year, I thought that that was partly a product because Brock Purdy had really never lost. He had never lost a game that he had started and finished in the NFL. And I think that sometimes it can be a little bit of a gut punch to you when you lose one after you've been winning so, so much and you kind of forget how to lose sometimes. And sometimes it's good to, to rein back in and remember that losing is part of the game. You mentioned Jalen Carter. That's a guy that had, had just won back-to-back championships at Georgia, okay? And yeah. and now he's on the Eagles. They're winning all the time. He just thinks you're going to win every week. Like, there's a, you know deep down inside you won't, but when you win that much and that frequently, you, you block out the possibility of a loss. I believe, to quote Kelly Clarkson, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. This will make the Philadelphia Eagles a stronger team. I think that that three-game skid in the middle of the season made the Niners a stronger team, and I think Philly – is going to to learn from this and be better because of it later in the season. I think it's always good to face a little bit of adversity and learn from it and come out to quote Mike Tomlin to smile in the face of adversity. Okay. I actually, despite the fact that they got crushed, I still think the Eagles are a slightly better overall team than Dallas. I have concerns about their defense more than their offense, even though everything has kind of sucked lately. I think Jalen Hurts was still an MVP. MVP caliber player last year. And I think that I, I I know that that level of play is still in there and that he can pull that out come playoff time. The defense is a little bit concerning. They're giving up 42 to San Francisco. Yeah. Very Very concerning. concerning. Give up 42 to San Francisco. You give up 30 plus here to Dallas. That's, that's That's, a big area of concern for me. That's why I think you're wrong. That's why I think the Cowboys are the better team. I seriously, if they played, on a neutral site, I think the Cowboys would win, and I think it would be well. They won't. They won't play on a neutral site, right? That's that a hypothetical. But okay. if they if they did, I think the score would more closely reflect this past week's game than the first matchup they had. Like the Cowboys' defense is way better than the Eagles' defense. Their offenses honestly, like, aren't that different. The Cowboys is the Eagles may have like one or two more dynamic players than the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are utilizing them more effectively. So I, I would, and Dak's playing way better than Hertz is like. That is true. 
I that just, is true. I would take the Cowboys right now if, if it came down to it. I think it would be really interesting to see if this was a conference championship game or a playoff matchup. Um, believe it or not, I think it would just come down to whoever the home team was. Like, I don't know and what, I, what happens. And I don't blame you for taking the Cowboys. I, I don't blame anybody for still siding, for siding with the Cowboys over the Eagles after what we saw on Sunday night. I think that the offensive cast around Hertz is a little bit better than what Dallas has. I still think that there are, there are holes in the Dallas defense, even though there weren't exposed this past weekend. We saw what Seattle did to him just two weeks ago. Okay. With DK Metcalf and that passing game with a subpar or average at best Geno Smith, the defense has problems on Philadelphia, but at the end of the day, I also like the fact that, Philly did this last year. They were in the Super Bowl last year. They've got a lot of returning guys from that team that know what it takes in the playoffs, have the experience of it. That's all I'll say about that. I completely understand where you're coming from with Dallas, but I would still take this Philly team to go deeper than Dallas this season. And I think that if they do square off again, I, I will take the Eagles. I, th- I think that their their play will be heightened because of this, this skit here. I, I think you'll see a different Eagles team come uh, come playoff team. I also think that the offensive line is still better for, for Philadelphia. I, I, I trust them. I think that they've been more effective at running the football all year and that will pay dividends as well down the stretch. Run game didn't look very effective against the Cowboys. Nothing uh, did. Nothing. No, did. I, you I, can't, I, I, none, none of what I'm saying right now, I'm not, I'm not drawing it from what I saw on Sunday night. You're right. Like not, nothing. If you just look at that Sunday night game in a vacuum, you can't, I, there's no credence to what I'm saying right now. I still have faith in what this team did last year and what they did in the first half of the season. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. I know. I know you don't feel great about being zero two against my picks, but here he goes. Here he goes. Here he goes. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, you were in the right. You were in the right, man. Just uh, I'll remember this when I rattle off four or five in a row, and all of yeah. a sudden I'm five and two against you. No, that's fair. That's fair. All right, let's um, B- Buffalo, Kansas City. Kansas City with another deflating loss. And Patrick Mahomes was just besides himself at the end of this. Even like you could tell after that call was made. I mean, he he had three incompletions after that. None of them were like close, really. I think he got psyched out. And I think this was the first time really in Mahomes' career we've seen him lose his compl- composure completely. Like it was just gone. After the game, he was losing his mind. And then in the, in the press conference, after he's talking about how this takes away from the hall of fame career of Travis Kelsey and blah, 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 man, shut up. Do you understand how you sound right now? Like I'm not going to make this about the past, but if I had a dime for every, anytime somebody called Tom Brady, a crybaby, none of the stuff that he ever complained about, he complained as vehemently as, as Mahomes did about this. Like, this was so annoying, so annoying. And he's, he's shaking hands with Allen after the game and he's screaming like, this is the worst, worst call I've ever seen. Whoa. It's like, dude, I've seen like nine-year-olds react to losing T-ball games better than this. It's just, it was absurd. I, and I, if you want to win the game, play better. You started off throwing a pick on your opening drive. Your team didn't score any points. Your first four drives, you went interception, punt, three and out punt you can't start slow against you can't start the game against josh allen down two scores i don't care 
if you're Patrick Mahomes. And even if you are, you're not the Patrick Mahomes you used to be because you don't have the same guys around you. I know you just won a Super Bowl last year with mostly the same group, but dude, I, I, I would have felt bad for him slightly because he gets screwed again from one of his teammates' mistakes if he hadn't complained about it the way he did. Um, well, let's talk I, about the play. I mean, let, let's, let's talk about the play right now. It was right a crazy play. It was the right call, though. It was the right call. Right. That, that's what I wanted to get at. Yeah. It, like, it's absolutely a penalty, okay? That Kadarius Tony's lined up offsides. You, all, you can't all – I don't know if people know this or understand this about the offensive offside rule either. It's not – you can't be even with the, the center. Like, the center has to be slightly past everybody else on the line. Like, even if a guard is lined up right even with the center, you can't do that. I think that's been called on the Eagles a couple of times when they, when they do the tush-push. So Kadarius Tony, I think his his toe is over the line of scrimmage, but he's he's even with the center. His body is even with the center. So there's no, I mean, some people are calling it some people are calling it ticky tack, but it's it was obvious. Yeah. Okay. You can't you can't do that, and that's absolutely on Kadarius Tony. I get Mahomes' frustration because it's another receiver making a blunder that's going to cost him the game. But that's the first one of the first things that you learn in Pop Warner football. I know it was one of the first things that was ingrained into my head when I split out wide as a wide receiver playing peewee football, you always look first to the referee and you check and you give a thumbs up, thumbs down with, am I good? Do I need to slide back, slide up, you know, whatever it may be. And they'll tell you, you know, Tony doesn't even do that. And, and he's also on the play too. He's jogging before, before uh, Kelsey even throws the lateral to him. I, sometimes I just don't know where his head is at. I mean, if he's taken ha- the first half of the playoff, he doesn't know where he's supposed to be lined up. And that's not, uh, that's not on Mahomes, although he can, he can see that in the formation. So I don't think he's like completely without blame, but primarily that falls on Kadarius Tony. And it's not the first time a receiver's made a blunder. So I get where the frustration is coming, but completely classless. I agree mainly with what he I understand being frustrated with the the referees and yeah. maybe even throwing your helmet on the sideline maybe even jawing with the referee themselves but when you go to midfield to shake hands at the end of the game that needs to be gone okay absolutely did Josh Allen did not deserve to have um Mahomes say what he said to him about how how crappy the call was Josh Allen's just trying to help will his team to victory man you know he doesn't need to hear that Mahomes did apologize for it, and I've I've seen a quote of him apologizing for it since it happened. But that was the first time I ever stepped back and said, that is no class from Mahomes. Do you think that – I'm not – like some people are going to make this about like Taylor Swift, and I can't believe him. Oh, God, I don't really – I can't believe him fucking doing this this right now. Go ahead. I think you have to – like I feel like there's more pressure on them. I don't know why it shouldn't make sense. Like most football fans, most Chiefs fans don't give a rat's ass about Taylor Swift. I'm a fan of some of her music. I'll say it. But like, I don't really think she has anything to do with what happens on the football field. And yet the vibes, the last like six weeks, they've lost four of their last six. Like these aren't just losses either. It's like, they don't seem like they're having fun on the field they seem like they're pressing all the time which is weird i can't tell if it's because mahomes feels like he has to try harder because there's less around him or if it's because he feels the weight of whatever is going on more 
you know, and I mean, you just, you just won a Super Bowl. Brady's not in the league anymore. You're like supposed to be the guy, right? And right now he's not. Actually, if you look at the numbers, he's like the sixth or seventh guy, basically, which isn't the Pat Mahomes that we're familiar with, even from last year. Like this guy is still a top, still in the top five in the MVP voting, and he shouldn't be really, or maybe he should be because obviously we're seeing the, the guys around him right now aren't doing that well, but am I crazy for thinking it that they look like they're pressing? That's not the first thought that pops into my head that they are, that they feel an abnormal weight of pressure. Certainly not just because Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor Swift. However, I think that you're, you're on to something with this. The way I look at it with them is all right. They've got, they just won a ring last year. It was only a couple of years before that, that they had won one as well. They won two in what's it, the past five years or so like that. They don't seem as hungry as some of these other teams. Mm. They, I didn't think that they were as hungry as Buffalo. Buffalo's fighting for their playoff lives. Yeah. You know, you look at San Francisco a team that was so close last year. They look hungry. Yeah. Dallas, the way they played over the weekend. Like this I was think that a, that, a playoff game for Buffalo essentially. Right. And I think that that can happen when you've had a lot of success recently that you think that it's going to be handed to you. And I think sometimes what happens there is you overlook the little things, which is exactly what happened with Tony lining up offsides and maybe taking the first half of the playoff as well. That is what strikes me with the Kansas city chiefs, not necessarily that they're, that they feel more pressure, but they don't seem quite as hungry as some of these other teams that are like Baltimore is another team that I think seems hungrier than them. Yeah. Oh my God. And that, and that can happen to you after you've had a, a big run of sustained success. I mean, they have hosted five straight AFC championship games. That is an incredible feat. Incredible. But I feel like their team is starting to just expect that that's going to happen without earning that. You know what I'm saying for this year? Yeah. No, I don't disagree with you. I think we're on the same page, sort of. Like, we're not, we're not agreeing, but we're not disagreeing either. There's something going on there. There's something going on there. Um, <clears throat> on the Buffalo side of it, though, huge win for them. And you pair that with the Dolphins losing. This was a great week for them. This was, like, ideal, actually. You needed Miami to, to lose a game that they weren't supposed to lose. And you have that other Monday night victory where <laughs> uh, – I saw I, I saw a stat that was like I forget the exact number, um, but the Dolphins were up by two scores with what like three four minutes left. Um, this was the first time since 2016 a team in the Titans position has won a game being down by two scores with less than four minutes to play. Um, I think teams were like. Oh, and 170 something until Levis led that comeback. And part of it has to do with Tyreek not being healthy the whole game. Like he missed a good bit of the game. And when he was there, he was definitely effective. He was a big part of the reason why they were able to even uh, retake the lead like later in the game. So, or at least when they started making runs um, to tie the game up before Tennessee had those weird turnovers, Tyreek had a couple big plays. Um, and to be fair, the Dolphins were also missing three starters on the O-line and Tua was 
feeling the pressure all night. He got sacked five times. He got hit another seven. Uh, the Titans defense, though, the, the big story was just the, the Dolphins were so bad in the red zone, man. Two for five. They, they had a fumble in there as well, which ultimately led to a pick six for the Dolphins defense. So it's not like it really hurt them. But you got to convert in those situations. And, and credit to Tennessee, they're, um, I think I saw that they're like the second best red zone defense in the league or something like that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they, they've allowed the fewest red zone touchdowns in the league this year. So not second best, the best red zone defense in the year in terms of allowing touchdowns. So uh, Brable still knows how to dial up a defense in the red area, which is a staple of, of Belichick's coaching. Uh, and, and his philosophies. So I was hating on uh, Vrabel earlier in the year. And, and after a win like this, I, I got to eat my words a little bit. Um, Levis also is, is an animal dude. That's a, that's a, that's a football guy. Like he's not afraid to lower his shoulder. He's not afraid to, to put his body out there. His mentality is great. Like even after that bad toss to, to Henry, he goes back out on the next drive. He just slings it, man. Leads him down the field, gets the touchdown, gets the two-point, gets the ball back, does the same thing again. And they're big throws, too, like chunk yardage. So I'm excited for, for what the AFC South will look like next year, and I'm sure that Buffalo is licking their chops a little bit after this Miami loss. They're now plus 300 to win the division, I, and they, they play Miami again uh, at the end of the year, so they could have a tiebreaker there. You really just – need to win a couple of games and, and beat Miami and you're good. Yeah. This big week for Buffalo, like you said, and I look at Miami now with a lot more concern than I did, you know, a week ago. First off, we talked about this discussion last week. If there was any doubt, it's gone now. The most valuable player on that team is Tyree kill. Oh hands yeah. Down. Hands he down. That's in the MVP voting too. He's now top five. Hands down, and I saw his odds earlier. I think it's I think it's worth a uh, a small little wager too. We can talk about that later in the segment. They didn't score an offensive touchdown in the first half, where he pretty much wasn't playing after after he took that horse collar tackle or um, screwed up his knee. I don't know the severity of it. I mean, he was able to come back in the second half, so you hope that it's not really a long term thing with him. But then it speaks volumes that Miami starts scoring a couple touchdowns when he's back in there. He's so valuable, man. He's so valuable with what he does when he actually has the ball in his hands because he's so fast, but he stretches the field. He creates more opportunities for guys like Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson Jr., Devon A-Chain coming out of the backfield as well. And you know that you at least have to shade a second guy to Tyreek's way, and that means that somebody's going to be open all the time. Wasn't the case when he's out. So he's absolutely, I think, the most valuable guy on that team, more so than Tua. I think that that's definitive if you watch that Tennessee-Miami game. It should be noted that Miami had some injuries on the offensive line. And I think that their center was one of the guys that went down early in this game. So that was yeah. part of the reason for that fumbled exchange that you alluded to that the defense picked him up after it, but something to watch going forward to a kind looks uncomfortable when he has to go under center. So that's interesting when they have to run everything out of the shotgun, like they do. I actually think, I think the O line, the missing O line was the bigger part of why they struggled. And I'm not arguing that uh, Tyreek is the most valuable player on the team. He definitely is. But with an offense that's built around like rhythm, timing, having the ball out of the quarterback's hands within a certain time frame, you can't risk having 
hands in the face to that guy to close out closing those windows or you can't risk non-clean pockets so I, I mean you can't replicate Tyreek Hill but Waddle's not necessarily a slow guy either and I'm sure they run similar route trees um, again not talking against Tyreek's value I'm just saying that I think if they get Tyreek back and they still don't have a healthy O-line like the next couple of weeks I'm still worried for them whereas if they have a healthy O-line, but Tyreek isn't fully healthy. I'm I'm slightly less worried. And that's not a knock on Tyree. It's just like just how their offense works. That's it. Uh yeah, I'm gonna have to wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um the the <laughs> yeah, to put it to put it lightly, the, the O-line shouldn't be overlooked, the injuries on the offensive line, but with an offense that is predicated on getting the ball out so fast you should be able to afford injuries or uh, an O-line that's not completely healthy. And it was still a banged up offensive line that was in there in the second half when Miami was doing their scoring and Tyreek was back. So I think that you can link a direct correlation to that. It shouldn't be overlooked, but the most, the more important thing is that Tyreek is back healthy than rather than this offensive line. Well, it's not like they were like their two touchdowns came after the two Tennessee turnovers it's not like they drove the field and turned it into touchdowns they went like 20 yards and they ran the ball the whole way in you know it, it like i but wasn't one of them set up with a big tyreek bomb or, or did no, they end up just no, getting the, a field goal out of the that? only the only two offense they only got a field goal out of that the only two okay. offensive touchdowns they have were following the the tennessee fumbles but could you could you answer me this question when did their offense look better second half or first half of course, when Tyreek was healthy and when he there was out go. there, 100%. Yeah, and that's – I am agreeing with you, but I'm also adding – never mind, never mind. So Somebody will get it. It's okay. I got him. I got him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, yeah, if I, if I could say one thing before we go any further, I do want to say one thing about the, about the Titans, particularly Will yeah. Levis. Kid showed a lot of moxie in this. Oh game. my god, a yeah. lot of moxie. You, you're right. He knows where to get the ball to, to DeAndre Hopkins, and you know that really helps a young quarterback. When you have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, I'm I'm rooting for Will Levis, man. I know not everybody is, and but that was a tough look on draft day. Seeing yeah. him slip all the way there, yeah. man. I I think he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. I think you can see it. You can see how amped he was after this game good for him dude i i really i really hope he has a good career and that tennessee's found something in him because that that would be a great story for him the, fir- the first thing i go back to is a few weeks ago when um there was some kind of miscommunication between he and hopkins and they get they get onto the sideline they get off the field and get to the sideline and levis is like screaming at d hop this is a rookie by the way like screaming at him multiple time all pro receiver a guy who like two three years ago everybody considered a top five guy in the league some still might i probably wouldn't but mm-hmm. like to have the balls to do that as a rookie and for hopkins to not immediately like shut the guy down i mean i i don't know what he said but clearly it's lit a fire between the two and, and since then they've been a pretty electric combination um and Hopkins, Hopkins praised him after after the game in his post game interview too. He gave him props. He said that Will's he he thinks Will's going to be a real good quarterback in this league. Uh, I I think I think Hopkins is 
taken on a very mature role on that team where he does realize he is not quite the receiver. He was a few years ago. He's not that top five guy anymore, but he's still capable of making big plays. And he was saying how he's still, there's still stuff Will can work on. He's going to talk to him about it, you know, on the trip home and, and this upcoming week of practice. I sense that Hopkins is taking on a little bit of a mentorship role. And sometimes you, you let the kid vent, but at the end of the day, you can't, I think it's very mature of him to not let that, you know, ruin any relationship or anything like that between him and Levis, because I think Levis's development is going to rely heavily on how much Hopkins is there for him. I kind of said this when we were talking about trade topics and how it would be advantageous for Tennessee to keep Hopkins around and not trade him so that he could be a mentor type figure. And he could be somebody that a young quarterback like Will Levis could rely on. And I think that we're seeing that before our eyes. That's, that's a good relationship. That's really budding there between Will and Deandre. I'm happy to see it uh, for both of them. Really. Staying in the AFC East, much to your chagrin, my friend going back to last Thursday night, um, honestly to my chagrin either. I, I'm glad the Pats finally won a game, but I was kind of hoping we were going to keep losing so that we could get the number one pick. We, we still, it looks like we still have a great shot for a top three pick, which is good, especially considering the bears might not end up taking a QB. We'll see. We'll get to that too. But um, yeah, man, win for the Pats, tough loss for the Steelers following uh, a loss to the Cardinals as well. Uh, Cardinals also in that group of, of three teams looking at a top pick right now. Um, I, I don't want to make this really about the Pats. I want to give the floor to you. The only thing I will say is that as far as the Pats go, um, the defense has been awesome recently. Like you're not going to be able to run the ball against us. We have one of the best run defenses in the league. Um, I don't care what team you are. I'm actually kind of, I'm trying not to convince myself we're going to beat Kansas city this week, but I feel like it's, it's, there's something that could happen there, uh, especially if it's actually. You guys aren't beating Kansas City. Hey, man, if this is actually Bill Belichick's last season, which is something that's being talked about right now, the team's going to be playing for that guy like they've never played for a coach in their whole lives, man. Like, don't get me started. <laughs> but I, I was cool. I was happy to see Zeke have a good Patriots game, and I think. And this was a game where hopefully we look at this next year and, and say that he's our, he's our number one running back from Andre. I know has had, has had some potential and he had a good year last year, but he hasn't been the same guy this year. And um, we're missing him due to injury right now. He'll play more when he gets back, but Zeke was awesome. He totally took over the game offensively. We haven't had anybody really do that this year. If you look at, I think he led the team in receptions, receiving yards. And then also he had an awesome day carrying the ball. And then Zappy was just anybody better than Mac is going to make a huge difference for this team. That's how bad Mac was for Zappy just to have a day where he looked like just half decent was striking. I almost forgot what that looked like in a Patriots quarterback. And I'm not giving Zappy the job. I, I I'm happy for him and I hope he keeps playing well. Um, but he wasn't like great. He, he had a pick, he had some bad missed throws, but he's not afraid to take calculated risks. He's, he's not afraid of pressure in his face. He's a dog, man. He's, he's going to at least like 
have the right mentality, which I think Mac was just missing. I think Mac was just like in shell shock almost uh, towards the end. But the bigger story is the Steelers, man. You're you're now, I think, out of a playoff spot, right? Or are you still in the top seven? No, we're we're still in because the Jets beat the Texans. You sound so upset right now that your team is in the playoff race. <laughs> well, let me let me explain why. Okay. I am rooting for from here on out for whatever whatever result leads to change. Whatever result leads to change with this organization, that's what I'm rooting for. I think losses are going to make change happen before wins. Look, I talked about it last week. I think it's time. It, it's time. I think I think Tomlin has run his course in Pittsburgh. Everybody says that, you know, they would be lucky to have them and that there are NFL teams out there that would relieve their own head coaches of duty if they could get Mike Tomlin. Okay, fine. So be it. Let's trade him because this is arguably the worst loss in the Mike Tomlin era. It's right up there with a Thursday night loss to Brady Quinn in 2009, a Bruce Gradkowski loss uh, against the Raiders in the same year. This is terrible. This was a team that you thought was actively tanking just a week ago. Now you're ready to say that Zeke is your running back of the future and that they're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs next week, all because they beat the Steelers. We've lost to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, to the 2-10 and 10 Cardinals, and now the 2-10 and 10 Patriots. We're the first team ever in NFL history with a winning record to lose back-to-back games to two-win teams. Two and Actually, ten, two we're and three, ten win teams. We're three and nine, by the way, now. Oh, well, you were two and nine. <laughs> we're two and nine. Sorry, man. <laughs> I, I don't – Herb Street highlighted guys on the telecasts that were taking plays off, talking about Pickens and Deontay. The play calling was terrible again. The clock management was awful. Dude, first of all, why are we throwing a go route on a fourth and two? I think that was Trubisky checking into that play. I don't think no, that he, was the call. I mean, you No, go, he wasn't. Go watch. Our, our quarterbacks don't audible. Yeah, go go watch and make the audible. There's no way. He that doesn't that make an audible. No, no quarterbacks make audibles in the Pittsburgh offense. Kenny Pickett's not allowed to make audibles, let alone the backup quarterback. He doesn't check into that play, and I I got proof for you because Mike Tomlin said it was a called play in his press conference. He said the reason they ran that play is because they had success doing it against the Baltimore Ravens earlier in the year when they won, and they threw that go route to George Pickens. The only problem is, Mike, that's a completely different play uh, scheme, or it's a completely different scenario. The game against Baltimore on the go route was a second and nine. Where, I mean, come on, now this is fourth and two? Yeah. I'll give credit to Trubisky. They did the replay of the play. No one was open. I mean, the only op- the only guy that you maybe had a remote chance of getting it to was Deontay on the go ball, but that shouldn't have been the play call. They should have run the football on third down because right. the two-minute warning was coming up anyway. Yeah, they shouldn't have even been in that fourth and two Right. It's, it's little stuff like that, man. And I reiterate that people talk about how he's never had a losing season and everything like that, and it's great. And, and if he claws his way to 9-8 and eight again this year – the national media is going to soak it up and say, what a great job Mike Tomlin's done with what he with what he's had to work with. Look at who they've played on the schedule, man. There's no reason this team should be seven and six. They should, they should be, they should be nine and four at least, at least with the competition that they played. I, I don't care who's in a quarterback. They face the likes of Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and Bailey Zappi. And before you talk about Oh, it's Mitch Trubisky in there. And Mitch Trubisky sucks. I'll give you that. You you are completely right on that. He, look at what Zach Taylor's, but look at what Zach Taylor's doing with Jake Browning. 
Jack, hey, we, Jake Browning's good, though. You He's, weren't saying that when he was coming in from Baltimore and when he started in, in the game against Pittsburgh. Nobody was saying that. He was a 27-year-old quarterback who hadn't even started a game in the NFL yet. Nobody was saying that about Jake Browning. Yeah, Joe Flacco's sure, coming off the couch, and it looks great in two, in, in two games with Cleveland, dude. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was, had like a 2-1 to TD-to-pick ratio in, in, in Chicago. He led that team to a playoffs. Now he's got as many touchdowns as picks. He's regressed going from Chicago to Pittsburgh. That's coaching. Well, okay. So lots of, of lot to unwind there. Lot to unwind there. You get yeah. two cents in. Of so let me let me go through this one at a time. Um one. Something I had to do this year, and even like last year, really it was like last year that I had to do this. And I would even say, like, maybe a little bit in Max rookie year. Um, I had to look at my team for, like, what it really was for the first time in my lifetime as a Pats fan. Like, honestly, and say, like, we're not, we're not as good as I think we should be. And the Steelers have an awesome defense. There's some key veteran players there. We don't have an awesome defense. You guys, you guys talked about the, the offense – the woes that you had had the previous three weeks. We gave up 21 points to Bailey Zappi. That's not good. They were giving up a 99-yard touchdown drive. Keep going. I'll pull up the the defensive yards against, and I know the Steelers are are right near the bottom. But continue. I would believe that. However, the points probably aren't the worst of the league. Um, TJ is a great player for you. You've got some some weapons like the more i think about it like i'm not really scared of pickens or deontay johnson or like harris or like warren who's had some good games like friar i'm not like i think that when i looked at the steelers at the beginning of the year i looked at them as a possible 10 win team because of the makeup of their team because of the coaching because of uh thinking that the division was going to be was going to be strong, but that they had enough of a cohesive and consistent group of players from the last few years to maintain at least the baseline that they've set, right? What I would say to look at first is, one, Big Ben's last year, I don't think you were winning games because of Big Ben. I think you were winning games despite him, okay? You go back uh, and look compared at... Compared to what things have looked like since him, I think that Big Ben was winning us games. Well, go I back think, and look at the stats. Statistically, it was Big Ben's worst year in like a decade, right? Yeah, but it's miles better than what any quarterback has done since then. Right, but the fact that the record hasn't... That you were still able to, to, to have a winning record the next year, okay? And then now you still do as well. Tomlin's three and six in games started by Trubisky. Trubisky is terrible, you're right. And he really hampers the team with uh, Pickett in at quarterback. They're 13 and eight. That's a totally different winning percentage. You, you project that out to uh, what's what's 18. Uh, hold on. Do Too much quick, math for me. Quick maths, quick maths. I don't have a calculator on hand. Hold on. But th- this is this is the by the way, the Steelers, I, I said the Steelers are 21st in opponent yards um, yeah. again. So that's that's, in my opinion, not elite. It is one thing to just look at what the record is at the end of the season and say, oh, one more games than we lost. It's another thing to look at what it should have been. If Ben Roethlisberger's on this team, man, they, they have nine wins minimum, minimum. I don't think so. I don't. I, I, Big Ben now compared to two years ago, you might still end up having 
Ben Roethlisberger would give them a better chance to win than either Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky, or Mason Rudolph. Absolutely. Ben couldn't throw the ball this last year, man. Like, then why did he have more passing touchdowns than any of the guys I just mentioned? Because he's a Hall of Fame fucking quarterback. That's why. Him okay. with, with half an arm is, of course, it's going to be better than Trubisky or Pickett. Of course. Of course okay, then is. that's the point. That's what I'm trying. The point I'm trying to make. But I don't like. That's that's a crazy hypothetical though. The guy hasn't played in two years, and he retired because he was like banged up right it wasn't it's partly because of the play decrease but it was mostly health related if i'm not wrong correct i mean i think i think it was just kind of a consensus among the organization that this guy isn't he wasn't playing at the level he he once used to and he couldn't he wasn't nearly as mobile uh ben says it was more his legs than his arm than anything just couldn't couldn't move as much anymore which i agree i mean he was kind of stationary back there in the pocket i'm not saying that ben roethlisberger would be a great quarterback in the nfl today i'm just saying he'd be better than anybody that you just said that your team would have nine wins if he was there correct so you think because all he would have to do is make a three-point difference against dorian thompson robinson would have to just beat the two and ten cardinals and make a three-point difference against bailey zappi and the terrible patriots it's not that much to ask for i think that so I think in the Cardinals loss, you saw the Steelers come out flat. Cardinals won. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, the two win difference is just the the Patriots game and the um, and the Browns game a couple weeks back. Well, I was just I was just about to compare. So I think at the Cardinals loss, we spoke how how they looked like they came out flat. Whereas in this game, I think it was more just like because of the situation because Trubisky was out there, the Pats were able to just like stack the box, stuff the run your only chance of winning this game was to have a good game on the ground. Trubisky wasn't going to win you the game, like lighting it up through the air. That's just not the makeup of your team or who he is. If you were going to win this game, you needed to do it in a different way, which yes, you could say the game plan has to be different, but go look at what, how, what were the, the yards? I think we held you to like our run defense was great, man. It's, it's like we did it schematically that we have to be better. Like that, that's, that's on the coach. That's on the game plan. I mean, it's hard. So we had like eight guys in the box, like a lot, sometimes even like nine in there. I mean, you guys had 28 carries for 82 yards. Trubisky actually led the team in rushing yards. Uh, Harris had 2.4 yards a carry. Warren had 1.6 yards a carry. Like, I think it was just a matter of the Patriots already have a good run defense and the writing was on the wall that Trubisky wasn't going to get the job done. We've seen this with Belichick like a hundred times where he gets wins like this, where a lesser quarterback is on the field and he just forces them into relying on that guy when they can't do that to win. I, this isn't a good look on Tomlin either. And he does need to be put to task, but I think this win is less reflective of him than it is of just who is under center. I think, and I don't even necessarily think they win that game of pickets out there, to be honest, they, they'd be closer. It'd be Agreed. better. I don't but, think, but I, I, I think the, the overall problem is you need a quarterback next year. And I don't think either of these guys are really it. I think if you give Tomlin a chance with like a Kirk cousins, maybe, or like, uh, I don't know, insert anybody better than Pickett and Trubisky. And, and you might, have a better team. That's what I would like to see next year. Uh, I'm just saying, man, I see, I see a lot of head coaches out there this year that are finding ways to win games with backup quarterbacks and our coach isn't doing that. It's maybe he has, maybe the other guys have better backups. I mean, I would take Browning and DeVito over Trubisky. I would even take Zappi over Trubisky, man. Like 
So you're saying it just falls more on the players and like how valuable is the coach then anyway? No, it's not totally on the players, but the quarterback position is the one position in the NFL that you could say contributes more to wins and losses than anywhere else. Right? Like you saw the difference with my team just from getting the walking dumpster fire with an arm that is Mac Jones out of there and putting somebody else in the difference was drastic. Like, yes, quarterback is the most important position, but when you have your backup in there, everybody knows that he's not nearly as talented as the starter. Although in this case, I think that he's equally as bad as the, as the starter, Mitch Trubisky compared to Kenny Pickett. When that happens, it falls on the coach to give a good schematic game plan to mask the weaknesses of a lesser player. And I don't think that Mike Tomlin has done that. Uh, Baltimore, LA, uh, Ravens, Rams. This was probably my favorite game to watch of the week, to be honest. Like 37-31 final score. We had the, the walk-off punt return touchdown by Tylen Wallace. His first game ever returning punts as a pro, by the way. Um, both teams looked like legitimately good. This didn't look like the Ravens were like playing down to their competition. They were playing well and the Rams stepped up in a really tough environment in a Raven friendly atmosphere with the rain and everything. Like Stafford was slinging it. Kyron Williams is, is a proven running back now in the NFL at this point. If you're putting up a hundred plus yards against this defense, like Rams, it's a really tough game because you're still from the outside looking in in the playoff picture. But for the Ravens, I think it's it's another big win. Like, I mean, I don't think you can really make an argument against them in the, as the AFC's best team at this point. Their only three losses this year have all been one-score games. It's not like anybody's blowing them out. Um, Lamar is developing into a good passer where, like, you're not really thinking twice about his throws anymore. You kind of, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm expecting him to make these plays in the passing game. He's making the right reads. He's making decisive throws. He's executing them. Um, he's going to keep developing there too. I don't think we've seen a ceiling as a passer. Um, they do have a couple of tough games down the stretch. They have to play the, the 49ers on Christmas that night, actually, which is like just a perfect that could be our Super Bowl preview right there. We might get the Super Bowl early on Christmas, which would be pretty cool. I would love to see those two teams uh, face off again come February. But um, tough loss for the for the Rams. I think this showed a lot of heart on Baltimore's side of things. And um, I'd, I'd be interested to see if they would have been able to score anyways had they not had that punt return touchdown, but it didn't matter. Um, we hyped them up a lot last week in their, def- their defense. Excuse me. Now, I, I think they're 100% my pick to to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I, I don't see anybody else topping them. Like, maybe, maybe Buffalo, if everything goes their way. Uh, the Browns, even, I could see them playing, like, tough. Uh, they did beat Baltimore in Baltimore, I believe, actually. Um, but, yeah, man, I, <laughs> the Ravens are good. They are. They are, but uh, to me, this game spoke more. Uh, I, I gathered more conclusions about the Rams than I did Baltimore in this one, because let's take a look at the scenario here. You got a, a West Coast team, warm weather, plays inside, goes into on, a, on the road, across the country, one o'clock game, 
rainy conditions, poor, poor weather conditions, and they take Baltimore right down to the wire, send it to overtime. Um, I actually turned this game off at the wrong time. I, I switched feed to uh, to another game. I think I, I threw on the uh, start of the 49ers Seahawks game when Baltimore was up when they scored to go ahead up three with like two minutes ago, I honestly didn't yeah. think the Rams were going to be able to, uh, to come back and Stafford leads them down the field to, for the game tying field goal. They got Cooper cup back involved mentioned how good Kyron Williams has been. This is now three straight games where the Rams have put up 30 points. I think that we need to be start, start talking about this offense as one of the elite offenses when everybody's healthy, you know, not all of the names pop out to you as we've talked about so many times on this podcast, but they're good players. Cooper Cup does, but Puka Nakua was an unknown at the beginning of the year. So was Kyron Williams. Stafford's healthy. Maybe Cup is is kind of getting back to to his top level of health. We talked about how he might not have been quite right last week, but he has over 100 yards here in the touchdown. I think it spoke more to me about the Rams. I was impressed that they hung in with a team like Baltimore this competitively. I think that despite the fact that they are six and seven, I still see this as a playoff team in the NFC. They're, they're just playing really, really good football all around. I do think that this was though a, an MVP type game from Lamar by no means am I saying he's MVP this year, but I thought that the the performance he delivered could be described as that three touchdowns through the air. He added 70 yards on the ground. So I'm not taking away from him. He's in that top group. I, I'd say he's, he's definitely like one of the four best one of the four most valuable guys in the league right now. Like I, I would say it should be like Dak Purdy, Dak Tyreek Purdy, probably Lamar four. I would say his hit. It pains me to say this, but his value to that offense is, is up there among the most valuable. I, I, I never obviously believe I don't hold him as highly just in general, in terms of a pure player. I think as a lot of people do, maybe I'm biased because I'm a Steeler fan, but what I can say unbiasedly is that all you need to do to look at how valuable he is to the Ravens offense is to look at how they perform when he's out. I mean, last year when, when Tyler Huntley comes in, although Tyler Huntley is a pro bowler, so we shouldn't forget that, but you look at, at how things have withered away the past couple of years when he's gotten hurt down the stretch, compare that to, to when he's in there, it is night and day. So his, his value is up there. I still can't go there with Baltimore. I, I, Baltimore's playing the best right now, and I've said that at different points of the season. I'm still not going to be betting on them over like a, a Kansas City Chiefs team. I just can't. Like, I, even though things seem in disarray there, I, I can't bet against Patrick Mahomes in that situation. And I would probably take Miami if they were at home, but it doesn't necessarily look like that's gonna gonna happen now. So it's interesting. They're up there, but I. I I, I don't think that this is the team that's going to go to the to the Super Bowl. I'm always biased, though. You would really take Miami at home after they just lost that game at home to the Titans, being up two scores with like four minutes left. I would take I would take Miami at home. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't even like even Kansas City. Kansas City is four and five in in one score games this year after this loss this past weekend. And like I said, Baltimore their only losses are in one score games. So I, I think I would have the Ravens. I think the best team, the team with the best chance to beat them is probably Buffalo. I would say. Could be. I'll still give the edge to, to Kansas city just because they do have Mahomes. I I'll never put anything past that guy. Even if uh, the talent around him's not, not great right now, him and Andy Reid combination is, is tough to beat. Let's hit on that last AFC North team. The Cleveland Browns, big win over 
uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I couldn't tell if Lawrence was healthy or not. He came back after having that injury in, um, uh, in the game the previous week. And he really didn't look great. Very like Jekyll Hyde type day for him. Three touchdowns, three picks. Um, he was, he barely completed over 50% of his passes. I mean, they, game script, they had to throw the ball quite a good bit because they were down late in the game, but he made a ton of mistakes and they, they had another turnover as well. And Flacco just looked like the better quarterback. This was his 100th win as a starter, 300 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. This was the best a Cleveland quarterback has probably looked all year. This is the best the Browns offense looks as a whole. So, so far this season, I think they're going to keep getting better and keep developing as they get more comfortable with Flacco. And I know he spent parts of the last couple of seasons there, but he he's only been there a couple of weeks this season and it's a slightly different team. So the team embraces him. They're playing around him. They're winning games. Um, it doesn't seem like they're fake wins either. Like I, I know Jacksonville, I, I know it's questionable whether or not Lawrence was healthy, but Ingram had an awesome game. He, he was making plays and, and they made it close at the end. Um, Cleveland is in the five seed right now in the AFC. They are. If I'm not mistaken. Um, and they're going to be dogfighting their way to a playoff spot, man. I, I think that's how they like it. I think that's how they want to play. They don't care how tough the road is. They're going to play grimy, gritty football. And I think Flacco is the perfect guy to, to lead that team the rest of the year. Yeah, dude. I mean, this, I, I didn't catch as much of this game as I would have liked. And so that was my first thought when I saw Lawrence's uh, kind of struggles was, was he hobbled in this one? I, I wasn't able to see enough of this game to really draw a full conclusion there, but all you need to do is look at Joe Flacco's stat line, man, 300 yards and three touchdowns. This is a guy that's just played two games now after coming off the couch this season. And the Browns defense was able to really stop the run for uh, on the Jags. I mean, Travis Etienne averaged only two and a half yards per carry in this one. And Lawrence threw the ball 50 times too. So I don't really love the play selection there, but the thing with Cleveland, if we go back to them and we talk about Joe Flacco and how well he has played and just granted, albeit just two games. And I know we've thrown out the terms small sample size a lot on this podcast, so we can't draw full conclusions from it. But I think that the way he's played in these two games is the best quarterback play that the Browns have gotten all year. It's better than even the best of what we saw in Deshaun from Deshaun earlier in the season. So the Browns defense has been a little bit up and down as the season has gone on. It's still been very good, but it's had moments where it's looked uh, not quite as elite as we saw in the beginning of the year. If they get back to a little bit more consistent defensive play like they did in the beginning of the year, and now Flacco is is playing like he did, we're going to see a better version of the Browns than we have seen all year. And this is a team that's already eight and five as it stands. You threw them out as a team that maybe could potentially beat a Baltimore in the playoffs. I absolutely believe that that could happen. Um, I don't know how deep that they can go because I I don't know if this level of play from Joe Flacco will sustain itself through the rest of the season and into the playoffs, but you can play the what if game with Cleveland. They're, uh, they certainly look like the best wildcard team right now, especially with how everybody, well, maybe with the exception of Buffalo. But with everybody else, not even in a wild card spot, though, they're still out of the race. Right. I'm just saying, in terms of wild card contenders, I guess right. I should have been more clear. No, I, but everybody I, I know else is log. Everybody else is log jammed in that seven and six territory, and they're eight and five. So this is a nice AFC win for them. 
I, I, I hate to say it, but I got nothing but good things to say about the Browns. They, they might now be able to play their best version of football all year. And I don't know if every team can say that right now, given their, uh, their backup situations or just how things are going with the team. Flipping over to the other conference in the NFC, uh, the San Francisco 49ers had a 28-16 victory against the Seahawks. Um, expected victory for San Fran, and, and it felt like a more felt like a higher score differential than it actually was. The game didn't feel like it was a 12-point game. It felt like San Francisco won this by like three or four touchdowns. The way um, DK Metcalf and, and some of those Seahawks players were acting at the end of it. Um, I just want to, I don't want to talk a ton about this game. I really just want to shout out, um, Brock Purdy. He now has seven straight games with a 70% completion rate or higher. There's only four players in NFL history that have done that. One of them is Joe Montana and Joe Montana actually has the record for consecutive games with a 70% completion rate at eight. So all Purdy has to do is complete 70% of his passes in this next game. And he's there with Montana and, in one regard, that that can be the first thing that people start using to compare him to Joe Montana. Um, still a lot of other things to go to make it a worthy comparison. But I think there's something there now. And I'm really starting to believe in him and in that offense. I just don't. I think there's only a couple of teams that can really like compete with the Niners at this point. And if Purdy is going to be this efficient, it's going to be really hard to to knock them off schedule. It's going to be really hard to beat them. And um, they do have to play the Ravens and the Rams. I'm interested to see how they handle those two teams uh, from that game in Baltimore. We saw they are slightly similar competition perhaps. So yeah, we'll have to see how that, how that goes. But um, certainly right now, I think they'd be everybody's pick as, as Super Bowl favorites. Oh, it definitely Super Bowl favorites. Yeah, this I mean, this team plays for each other. They got they got dogs all around, and you know, I'm I'm not surprised. I mean, you see guys like Kittle, IU, Debo Samuel being willing to block on, on plays that you know aren't going to them. They still know that they can play a crucial role in that play. Um, the one thing I wanted to to just add, you know, you talked about how good Brock Purdy is and his efficiency. I thought that this past game was an example of wow factor with him, which Though we've talked him up a lot, hasn't always been the first thing that I thought of when I think of Brock Purdy's play. Two throws in particular made me think that. His touchdown throw to Debo Samuel was nearly 50 yards in the air on a line. Hits him in perfect stride. So Debo can keep running. Um, He had about three yards yards on Jamal Adams, who was uh, trailing him. And it ends up being a touchdown. I was thinking after that play, there's a difference between completing a throw and making a throw completing the throw is just getting the ball to the receiver. You know, that can entail a a wide variety of things. You can underthrow, but Debo can still make a play. You can lead him towards the sideline. You know, he could just catch it and break stride a little bit and be tackled. That's, that's completing the throw. You get the ball to receive him. Making the throw is what he did. He throws that ball in an absolute perfect spot so that his receiver doesn't break stride at all and can run into the end zone untouched. That's elite level passing. That was nearly 50 yards in the air. That was a wow throw. The other wow throw that I saw from him was later in the game when the game was kind of already out of hand. So this, I don't know if this throw will make all the highlight reels, but it's one that caught my eye. He is rolling to his left and he's kind of fading away or at least kind of falling towards his back foot and throws across his body 
and hits Brandon Ayuk for it was like a 20, maybe 20, 30 yards in the air, something like that. Not nearly as long as the Debo throw, but he hits Ayuk in stride as well, you know, fading away from the play and throwing across his body. We're starting, we're seeing Purdy get better and better as well. And now we're starting to see some wow plays from him on top of just making the the easy throws over the middle and the dink and dunk throws that some people were saying that that was all he was doing last year. And it's just a product of Shanahan's offense. I mean, watch out because now we're seeing the, now we're seeing the wow plays and him create stuff rather than just take what's given. The San Francisco team is so well-rounded, so well-rounded. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Debo a couple of times. Quick shout out to him as well. Go Gamecocks. Yes, sir. Um, 19 receiving touchdowns in his career or uh, rushing touchdowns in his career, which is the most in history for a wide receiver. Keep in mind, he's only been in the league for like, what, four years, four or five years, if that. Sounds about right. So, I mean, he still he still has a way to go to pad that record, man. And boy, he will do that. He's a, he's a Swiss Army knife. I, I Offensively, I can't think of anybody that like replicates fully what he does. It's crazy, man. Niners are, they're a beast. Uh, sticking in the NFC, NFC North, actually. Um, Chicago, Detroit. Big win for the Bears. Justin Fields is starting to blow my mind with some of his plays that he's making. His escapability is... I don't, I don't, Lamar is the only other guy that is as good, if not better than him in terms of escaping pressure. Um, he's pretty ridiculous. I, he had a, a few like huge runs where he escaped pockets that like he shouldn't have been able to get out of. There was one play where he almost got brought down for safety by two separate guys, dodges both of them dodges another tackle and then turn it into like a 25 26 yard run um on the bears side of things i i we've taken dan campbell to task a couple times on this podcast i will say like he doesn't have a reliable kicker they missed an extra point again today and and it's pretty obvious like he just doesn't feel good about kicking field goals because he doesn't think they're gonna make them so when you throw that uh tidbit into the argument on should I or should I not go for it on fourth down the odds slant a little bit you don't want to just give up field position you don't want to just punt the football at like the 35 yard line every time out you want to give your guys a chance to make plays so I don't necessarily hate some of his decisions on fourth down even though I like crucified him for it last week but he's got the second most fourth down attempts in the league and the second lowest conversion percentage so maybe he should taper it off like uh, a few ticks definitely a few maybe not all the way but just a few because I, I think it's starting to hurt his team more than it is help them um there's some warts with this team we've been discussing for a while their defense i still don't feel great about their consistency offensively is a little sketchy and and how they fare against not so great teams worries me also um they don't strike me as a team that can like finish games but I still have them as a playoff team. And I still think that when they're playing well, they're frisky and could beat a lot of teams in this league. So I'm not discounting them completely. I just, to me, they're like a total wild card week to week. And, and I would, I wouldn't ever bet on them. I wouldn't come close to putting money on them at any point. Um, just cause I don't trust them. 
Yeah, with Detroit, um, I don't think you or I are too surprised at this loss. I mean, I, I wasn't too surprised that they lost no. this game. Maybe, maybe to the degree losing by two touchdowns, but road divisional games are the toughest type of game in the NFL to win. So you could kind of see it there. Um, Dan Campbell's going for it a lot. I mean, sometimes I just don't think the analytics, even though he doesn't have a great kicker, I still don't think the analytics justify it. I, I think one of the fourth down um, attempts that he went for today or in that game was a fourth and 10 at maybe the 35, I want to say. Like, I don't think, even though Riley Patterson doesn't have a great field goal percentage, especially from that distance, I can't imagine that you have a very high or a higher probability of converting a fourth and 10 from that spot on the field than actually making the kick. And, you know, the you're only really talking at that point about seven yards of, of difference in field position because if you do miss the conversion, which they did, you know, then you just get the ball there at the line of scrimmage, but as opposed to, you know, you snap the ball seven yards back for the field goal kick. So it's not a huge swing in field position either. Jared Goff's regressed a little bit over the past couple of weeks, I think, too. Um, he's turned the ball over more. I think he had two picks in this game. Yep, uh, under 100 at 161 yards and and two interceptions this game. They failed to get Amon Ross St. Brown the ball past couple weeks, which is I don't think that this offense is going to su- succeed unless they they get 14 heavily involved. Your Justin Fields comments are interesting, though. I'm not quite as high on him as you, although I do think he's getting better. I, I think that I've seen definite progression from him from last year and the year before. He looks like a totally different quarterback right now, even from early this year, I would say he, he still has a lot of improvement left to go, but there's something there, man. Like if he's not in Chicago next year, I think he could contribute for somebody. I would take him in new England. I would take a right on him. He's going to start somewhere um, next year. And and I'm, I'm that's kind of the point I wanted to get to where, how things look on the Chicago end. I'm still a little bit worried about him purely as a passer. I mean, he's 19 to 33 in this one. It's lower than a 60% completion percentage, but I still saw it like his touchdown throw to, to DJ Moore was still a really good throw. So like I'm seeing him make some throws like that, that I didn't in the past couple of years. And I think his overall level of play is it's, I, it, I think it's a tough decision for Chicago right now because I think, so I think, I think that they I think that there's still plenty of doubt there about how successful this guy can be and whether he's capable of leading a franchise to playoff success and and a championship maybe down the road. But he, I think that there's been enough progression where there's, there's enough of a feeling there. There should be in the Chicago front office to make them feel, Hey, maybe this could be our guy. And if you do, they're going to have the number one overall pick, it looks like, because Carolina keeps losing and they have that pick. And everybody seems to think uh, Caleb Williams is a slam dunk. And maybe he is. Maybe he will be. But I still think that there are going to be growing pains, even if Caleb Williams is one of the top quarterback prospects we've seen in a while. And I still think it's going to take a couple of years for him to fully develop if he does become an elite quarterback himself in the NFL. And so then you're starting all over again. And does Chicago want to do that? You know, they've gone out, they signed a guy like Montez Sweat, extended him. How good will he be in maybe three years when Caleb Williams is at um, more of a competitive level? I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't know necessarily that going and drafting a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, for example, is going to get Chicago to contender status quicker than just seeing what you have with Fields. 
the rest of the way and letting him continue to progress. He's playing like just well enough, I think, for the front office to have that internal discussion. I agree with you. And I would even say like Carolina trade for the number one overall pick last year. Like who's to say mm-hmm. somebody else doesn't do that same thing? Who's to say my Patriots don't do that, right? Yeah, that's a good point too. What if what if they go, what if they trade that pick again and get another haul? That's kind of what and I, then they, I think. And then they have do. the opportunity to do this all again next uh, the following year. That's a that's good. I didn't think about that myself. That's kind of what I think they're going to do. If I were them, like you already are, it looks like with your pick, it already looks like you're going to have something in the top ten, right? You could, depending on who you made a deal with, you could still stay in the top five, right? Where Arizona's not going to take a quarterback, but like the Pats definitely will. Um, Washington probably won't. But there's some other teams in there that would that would that would be willing to trade up to make that move so that they can get their guy, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure he doesn't fall to anybody else. You just got DJ Moore out of a similar situation last year. He's been your best player this season on either side of the ball consistently. So I mean, like the Pats don't really have a guy to give that will do that for you, to be honest. Like, so I don't know how we would make it happen. It would have to be a slew of picks and it's, it would be the Patriots almost did that once in Belichick's tenure. We almost made a move to trade up for the number two pick in the draft to select Baker Mayfield his year. And we didn't. And I, I'm kind of glad we didn't make that move, but um, I would be, I'd be glad you you stayed away from that. That wouldn't have been worth doing. He's, he wouldn't be much worse right now than the guys we've had. So it's, it couldn't have been terrible, but it wouldn't have been great either. Um, yeah. In know. theory, in theory too, you would, you would think that Caleb, Caleb Williams, I think has more, um, he's a higher rated prospect than, than Bryce Young was. So in theory, you could even get a bigger haul than you yeah. got from, yeah. from Carolina. No, too, because I, there, there are some guys saying that this is the best quarterback prospect, you know, one of the best quarterback prospects we've ever seen. And you just need one NFL team to bite and, and have that belief. And they, they could give you, they could give you the world for, for that number one pick. The the sure thing status of him though, in recent weeks has, has fallen off a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree on that. You know? Yeah. Definitely. USC didn't have the year people expected them to. And even then, like nobody really expected them to make the playoffs. So I, I don't really get like what the big deal is. The guy still had an incredible season and they would have been much worse without him. They would have lost a lot of games this year. if They had literally anybody else except for maybe like four quarterbacks in the country, <laughs> to be honest. So I don't know. I, I think there's a little, I don't think you and I are totally off base in saying that there's some discussions going on in, in Chicago about who their guy might be. Uh, next year and, and going forward um real quick some really dumb playoff scenarios that are possible one the chiefs finishes a wild card team and the broncos win the division the odds of that happening are plus 750 the broncos are just one game behind the chiefs and i believe would have the tiebreaker over them as well if i'm not mistaken they still need to play each other again i think um, they do. They do. Denver does have the tiebreaker right now because they won the first matchup. And um, if they beat if they beat Kansas City in the second matchup, which I do not see happening, then they'd have the same record theoretically. And Denver would have won both head to head matchups. So they would keep the tiebreaker there. But dude, I, I think Kansas City will get it together. Can you imagine, though, if 
that would make for some really interesting sports sports talk show segments the next day in, in certain media circles. That's for sure. Um, John Payton might might uh, head into coach of the year possibly yeah. for that, considering how poorly that team started off. Oh, if if Denver wins that division, if they somehow win that division, he is winning coach of the year. I guarantee you, because right yeah, now that's, that's a good point. Yeah, if they do win the division. I think I saw that Dan Campbell is still the betting favorite, actually, which like blows my mind considering the the Lions have lost games because of him a few times. Um, uh, Buffalo winning the division is another one. I don't think this is that dumb or that crazy now at this point. I mean, they're only a couple games behind the Dolphins. They beat them pretty handedly the last time and have to play the Dolphins again. Plus, the Dolphins have a much tougher schedule down the stretch than the than the uh, than the bills do um like i said the odds are plus 300 i i think it's worth a stab i think i think it's worth throwing some dollars around for it Um, i think so too let's see what how many games back are they can you remind me again how many games back buffalo is so they're two back so um obviously this is all predicated on them winning their remaining matchup i think it's it's two i'm just making sure yeah what miami's Miami's won nine games. Nine and four. Nine and Buffalo's, four. Yeah, Buffalo's seven, seven and yeah, six. Yeah. Miami's nine and four, yeah. So obviously it's all predicated on Buffalo beating Miami in the remaining game that they have. But, you know, we also talked about um, talked about Miami still has to face Baltimore. So that could be a loss yeah. there. And if Buffalo can get there, get the And they have to and, face the Ravens. Well, no, I just we just said that. Um, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that could be your path right there. Buffalo still has a tough schedule. They still have Dallas this week, I believe. But I think that they're I think they're a different team. I, I pegged them to still make the playoffs a couple weeks back, standing by it. Uh, I don't know if they would win the division, um, but I think it's worth the plus 300 bet. Here are Miami's last three games. At home versus the Cowboys. On the road against the Ravens. And then at home against the Bills. That could be three losses right there. I think that is three losses. I don't see mm-hmm. them winning any of those games. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder actually if... No, that's a little too far-fetched. That's way too far-fetched. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I just had a crazy thought, man. Late on us. If they keep winning, if let's say Miami loses out, let's say they lose to the Jets this week, right? And then they lose the other three games too. They could miss the playoffs entirely. Yeah, that is a little bit of a crazy thought. It is, but it's not. I mean, mathematically, it's still possible. Like there's one, two, three, four, five, six teams that have seven wins. And then there's another three teams behind them that have eight. So they've got nine teams within two games of them. And there's only five playoff spots behind them as a buffer. So it's certainly possible there, there would need to be some craziness and they'd really have to struggle. But I think they'd need to lose out. Um, they would. Some, of the, some of those seven and six teams that are, that are fighting for a playoff spot are going to play each other too. So that that'll factor in, in there. Yeah. Um, it's, see. I believe, I believe that Buffalo game is at home too. So that shouldn't be ignored. Um, the odds of them missing the playoffs are probably like plus like, 30,000 or something. Yeah, they need to lose out. Who do they play this week? They play the Jets. The Jets. All who right. just won against the Texans. And I right. know the Texans had injuries, but like we've seen how good the Jets are in pass coverage. I still think it should be a win for Miami. They get that it game at be. home too. It should be. But, but who knows? Who knows? Well, yeah. well, next week, if 
if they drop this game, they're, they're definitely going to be on alert. Um, yeah, for certain. I mean, they still haven't beaten a team with a winning record. I don't know how they keep playing all these teams without a winning record, but uh, still concern. We also have um, – there's a possibility that two NFC South teams make the playoffs, which would just make me want to, like, throw up if that was the case. If I had to watch – any more than if I have to watch more than one NFC South team in a playoff game this year, I, I will be upset. Um, You'll be fine. Don't worry. They'll, they'll keep losing to each other. I hope still so. possi- there's still a possibility. I think that the winner of the NFC South might have a losing record. Um, well, there's only like five good NFC teams. I, I wouldn't say the Packers are really there. I wouldn't. It's very top heavy. Yeah. NFC is. I wouldn't say the Vikings the Vikings are about to trail off big time with uh, what? What's his name? Who's the? It's not Kellen Mond. It's um. It's are you not, do you, Did you seriously forget? It's not Dobbs my, anymore. They benched him. Dobbs got benched. Yeah, he got benched. That. They the they benched him in that three to nothing uh, shootout against the Raiders. They benched him. They went to um that's news to me. I, I didn't watch a snap of that game and I'm I'm happy. Oh, Nick Mullins got the start or Nick yeah, Mullins. Nick Mullins, he's gonna start next week too, is what they're saying. Did not know that. Yeah. Know that. Dobbs is Dobbs is done, dude. They're not going Ball back on to from him. Grace. Like, Mullins is even worse. Um yeah. Like I don't and Kevin O'Connell still finds a way to win the game. I think Kevin O'Connell should still have coach of the year. Aiden O'Connell? Oh, Kevin O'Connell. Kevin yeah, O'Connell. Yeah, Kevin, oh, my bad. Kevin O'Connell. I understand, understand the confusion given yeah. that he was facing Aiden O'Connell. <laughs> I, I never mind. Um, we also have uh, a possibility where multiple NFC teams with losing records make the playoffs. That's probably way more realistic than the NFC South, and probably will happen. To be honest, uh, and then there's a possibility that the Giants or the Bears make the playoffs. Both those teams would have to win out. I can't, I could not find odds on the Giants to make it, but the Bears are plus fourteen hundred per uh, bet MGM. So Vegas at least has some odds on on Chicago, and I would say that Chicago's chances of of making that happen are slightly better considering uh, their divisional opponents going forward and and yada yada. Um, it would have to be as a wild card team, but it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really think that that's that's worth the play. Um, Long shots. I'm I'm not suggesting any of these. I'm just saying it's possible. I guess it is. I guess it is. It's it's been a pretty muddled NFL. Um, I don't know. I still I still have a lot of confidence in the Rams, and um, I think one of the Packers or Vikings will still find a way to the playoffs as well. I think the Packers could. The Vikings, I don't feel great about. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you trust, you trust Jordan love, right. You know, more than the combination of Nick Mullins and or Josh Dobbs. Sort of. We were talking earlier about how young the team is. Like there's going to be more mistakes that happen there. There's going to be growing pain still. That's, that's a fair point, but yeah. I, I think love is still progressing, even though it wasn't a, a phenomenal game against the giants. I think so too. The question is how much is he going to have to progress in the next month for them to secure that wild card spot? You know? Yeah. Um, P odds right now, we did have some changes. Uh, Mahomes has now fallen to sixth. He is no longer in the top five, and Tyreek is actually even odds with him at plus 1,600 each. Uh, so I guess technically they're like 
joint fifth in MVP odds, however you want to say it. Um, Tyreek moving into the top five, I think is huge. And the fact that Tua isn't even in that top six group is even more of a suggestion that if Purdy or Dak struggle a little bit down the stretch and Tyreek breaks the record, there's a, there's a fighting chance he'll be in that conversation at the end. Um, Dak is the favorite at plus 150. Purdy at plus 185 is next. And then Lamar at plus 475 is in there as well. Um, Lamar, I honestly don't hate as some odds there, but like the Niners are going to keep winning games. And if the Cowboys trail off a little bit, it's pretty much Purdy's to lose. Right? Yeah, I, it's a two-man race right now for sure. I, I can't call it between Dak and Purdy, honestly. Um, they both look so good right now. They're the two best quarterbacks in football this year. And, um, yeah, they're definitely deserving to be up at the top. I, I don't know if you mentioned them. I know that we – I think we alluded to them earlier in the podcast. But Tyreek sitting there at plus 1,600. I think that that's a good value play right now. Um, I, th- I thought that this game – that game against Tennessee highlighted exactly how important he is for that team and how that team's offensive success can shift whether he's in or out of the lineup. So I think that that's worth a sprinkle. Um, again, if he can get the 2000 yard mark and, you know, maybe Miami makes a little bit of a run in the playoffs. I, I think that you could definitely see them giving the MVP to Tyreek. So that that's a value play sprinkle a couple of dollars on that. If you want a long shot. Shout out sprinkle. <laughs> I man sprinkle doesn't be, he doesn't believe in in brock purdy he was talking down on him a I lot was, of people still don't a lot of people still don't i think this is going to be like this is going to be half this is going to have to be like a nikola Jokic winning the finals thing where people aren't really going to fully come around until he does the damn thing I'm telling you it's only because he was drafted in the seventh round nobody That's would why. have nobody would have any doubts if he was a if he was a first round pick which is unfair but i mean well, I also think if he was playing for like almost any other team, he might get a little bit more love too. Cause I mean, yeah, just what he's got around him. He's got like a dealer's choice of quality players, you know, like mm-hmm. literally like the best multi-purpose wide receiver of all time, officially Christian McCaffrey, who could end up being the best running back ever. Or one of them, George Kittle, who's, a hall of fame tight end. And then Brandon Ayuk, who's also having just an incredible season and an incredible couple of years. He's he, we, I talked about him a little bit last week. He's underrated. Um, you think Kittle's going to get to the hall of fame? I'm not so certain he's going to go to the hall of fame. Cause I don't know if, I don't know if his stats are going to, cause sometimes, especially like earlier, I think after they it, win the super bowl this year, he will be in a hall of famer. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just worried that his overall stats might not quite line up just because I think that that offense has been so run heavy, or at least it was earlier a few years ago, and he was asked to perform much more of a blocking role. Um, I think Kittle's the best tight end of our generation. I just don't know if, if his stats are going to reflect that and he's going to be such a slam dunk Hall of Famer like you think. Best of our generation. I mean – I would he's say be, like, he's better. He's better than Travis Kelsey. Absolutely. Hands down. If you put Kel, if you put, if you put George Kittle in the chiefs offense, he's obliterating Kelsey's numbers. He's faster <laughs> than Kelsey. Kelsey wasn't the guy I was thinking of, dude. <laughs> you see the better. Who are you, ta- who are you talking about? Oh, Gronk. Yeah, man. Oh, well, I'm, I guess, I guess I should clarify generation. I, I'm saying, I'm saying like guys that are playing now, I should okay. clarify that. Okay. I should. Okay. That, that's All a, right. that's a, that's a good call there. 
I will. That's a good. I'm just talking about guys that are playing now within the last five, six years. Yeah. Is there smoke coming out of my ears? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit too. I, I don't know if it's more, it's if it's more or less smoke than when we had the Tomlin argument earlier. But that's that's a good call, dude. That was oh man. I'm. You still love me. You still love me. Oh, I do, man. I hope you still love me as well. We, yeah, we had we had to get into it a little bit. Um, I think we'll have another opportunity to do it later in the season too. So so get ready. We might because I, I, I got more material coming then. We might have to make the Steelers just like its own thing every week. <laughs> um, the other playoff odds I was looking at, um, the Cowboys are plus 280 to win the NFC East. And that to me is almost like, it's a little bit of a slap in the face to the Cowboys having the tiebreaker over the Eagles now and and. I understand what their schedules are next. And Vegas is basically saying they think Buffalo is going to beat the Cowboys in Buffalo this week, but that's, that's, is that the game that I give you the opportunity to, to get your money back again? Dallas, mm. Dallas bills. Do we run it back with, with the Cowboys again? I'd have to look at the line on that. Uh, let's see what we got on that. Do you happen I, to have a line on, on what that game is? No, you pull it up and I'll, I'll guess. I, I haven't right. looked at it. I'll guess what it is. I would bet that it is. Actually, it, let me just look on my phone. It'll be it'll be I, quicker that way. Give me give me your guess first because I'm looking it up now. I would guess that. I would guess that Vegas has the Bills favored by like. Maybe like it's not going to be more than a field goal. I would say like two and a half. Spot on, baby. Right now, right now they're minus two and a half. That's a good call. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I've been starting to do that recently, uh, where I try to guess the lines going into the next week to see how close I am. I'm getting better at it. Um, that could be a nice. fun, fun thing we so, do. So, what side do you want in that? I would take the Cowboys, but that's like plus two and a half. I mean, all right, I'll take I'll take Bills minus two and a half. You want to just do the money line instead, straight up? Uh, sure. I mean that, that, that's better for me. So yeah, I'll do money line straight up. Sure. All right, let's do it. Handshake. Shake on it. Handshake. Okay. There we go. Oh man. I can't go on three. <laughs> go on three. You heard it here folks. Go bills, baby. I hope orchard park orchard park is rocking. Um, Oh, they will be before we move on. I do. I do agree with you that there's good value in that number plus 280 for for Dallas. I think that it's also largely due in part to the fact that despite the fact that the Cowboys have the tiebreaker right now, I believe that the Eagles have one extra NFC game or at least one extra NFC game on their remaining schedule. So if the Eagles, if both teams win out, the Eagles will then regain the tiebreaker. I know that sounds weird because then it'll go to it'll go to divisional record and conference record. And I think that they have like at least either one more divisional game or one more conference game. You know what? Let me look up the Eagles. They have, right. they have got it. all of their games are conference games and they have two games against the Giants next. Then that then that's it. So so that just based on who they have, if they run the table, they still control their own destiny to win the division. I think that that also plays a part in why the Cowboys are underdogs, but I agree with you. I don't think it should be plus two eighty. I think well, the, that that's the, a little bit of a slap in the face. The Cowboys' schedule the next three weeks is at Bills, at Dolphins, versus Lions. That's that's the schedule two difference. AFC teams in there, yeah, yeah. The schedule difference is pretty drastic. But what I will say, throwing it back to the beginning of the show, 
I don't think the Eagles are going to beat Tommy Cutlets twice, man. I don't think it's possible. I don't think they're going to do it. Tommy Cutlets is going to get a win against the Eagles, man. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. He's going to have, he's going to have all of his, uh, construction or waste management industry boys in the Eagles locker room putting extra, extra laxatives in all of their pregame shakes and everything. Like <laughs> the send, send him over, send him over a lasagna before a game. <laughs> the, the mob is going to make sure that the giants get at least one win against the Eagles. I'm I'm not kidding though. I seriously think the giants are going to steal a game from them. I'm, I'm not I'd, kidding. I'd bet against it, but it's like I said, divisional games are the are the toughest ones to win in the NFL. Especially like, dude, I could just see it, man. That that would be the storybook right there. You beat the defending NFC champs as the the Jersey boy living in your mama's house playing for my favorite team guy. That's it. It's Tommy DeVito. Okay, so something we like to do on the show is give out awards every week to some of our favorite players and performances from the week's past. Uh, we're going to dive right into it. I'm going to go from bottom to top. We're going to highlight our, our biggest award last year. So we're going to start with our discount double stack award. The premise for this, if you haven't heard it before, pretty simple. A uh, stack of a couple of players that you wouldn't typically use. So we're going to rule out like uh, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, you can't use them. Mahomes, Kelsey, you can't use them. It's got to be a quarterback and wide receiver or a tight end combo, or it could be a, a, a running back if they get really involved in the pass game. But theoretically, it's a tandem of players that you're stacking um, that wouldn't be your first choice, but has an awesome week for you. So I'm going to mention mine, and we're going to move over to the city of Atlanta highlighting a couple of Falcons players, Desmond Ritter and Drake London combining for 53.8 fantasy points this week. Um, there was a social media clip going around of a video taken from the crow's nest in the Superdome during a, a Ritter pass to London. And uh, I saw someone quote tweeted it on Twitter and, and said every highlight of Desmond Ritter's in this game looked like, uh, Drake London was intercepting the passes from the defensive backs. <laughs> and it, it was true, man. He, there was a lot of up for grabs balls and London was making some crazy catches. Uh, I originally drafted him in our league this year and, and then I, I dropped him and he's had a pretty good season to be honest. Um, and Ritter, he's got a deep ball, man. He, he can run a little bit. He's got a big body. He's not afraid to lower his shoulder and, and go for the end zone. I wouldn't necessarily recommend using these guys week to week. But if you had them this past week, for some reason, they gifted you almost 54 fantasy points in standard leagues, uh, even more in PPR leagues. So kudos to you. Kudos to Desmond Ritter and Drake London this week's discount double stack. Yeah, two deserving guys here. This is a great pick. Whenever you can combine for over 50 points, I mean, you've really done yourself wonders if you did have these guys in the lineup. Credit to whoever did. Uh, because like you said, there's been a lot of inconsistencies, not really just only with Drake London, but with the Falcons offense in general. And a lot of that stems from from the quarterback play, as you alluded to. It seemed like Drake London was making the plays more himself than than Ritter. 
10 for 172 here for Drake London. I think he's a super talented receiver. You see him dominate the uh, the target and the receiving share. Nobody else um, had more than five catches. That was B. John Robinson who had five, five catches in this one. I think we just really need to get Drake London a good, consistent quarterback, somebody better than Desmond Ritter. And I think that we could be really seeing a true wide receiver one blossom in the years to come. So we talked a little bit about Atlanta and uh, earlier in the show and their potential prospects about maybe getting a quarterback, depending on where they finish fantasy managers to keep their fingers crossed uh, for that to happen. So that London's production can just go up and up. I'm going to start pushing for it. Danny dimes to Atlanta, baby, Danny Nichols, Danny Nichols <laughs> already, to Atlanta. You're already pushing for it. in all seriousness though, though, I don't think that that's going to happen because of the contract. If, if dimes did go to Atlanta, I, I think Drake London would be a, a very, very highly drafted guy, and he would shoot up draft boards for for next fantasy season. Absolutely, I see you have an honorable mention here as well. Yeah, sure do. You you talked about how this award typically goes to a, a quarterback receiver duo, maybe quarterback tight end duo, but I actually wanted to highlight quarterback running back duo. Um, Chase Brown has really come on strong, uh, and as he's been given some opportunities in Cincinnati. And I want to highlight Jake Browning and Chase Brown, 41.7 fantasy points combined for that discount double stack, not quite as much as Drake London and Desmond Ritter. So they're only going to get an honorable mention. But a lot of Chase Brown's success in this game uh, came through the air. He had three catches for 80 yards, and he scored a touchdown in this one. He's been a popular waiver wire pickup the past couple weeks. And of course, we've seen how much success Jake Browning has had as well over the past couple of weeks. Is he not just 275 and two touchdowns himself? So I think that those guys deserved an honorable mention, Jake Browning and Chase Brown. Jake Brown Browning. duo, the Brown duo, if you will. Jake Browning, a former uh, Elvis Presley award winner, uh, Elvis Presley impersonator award winner. Um, <laughs> I, I love watching that guy play, man. I hope he keeps playing well. It'd be crazy if Cincinnati made a real run. Um we're going to switch gears and highlight uh, an unlovable loser from this past week. Someone who definitely didn't help your team. Someone that you normally count on. And there was a few guys that I thought about for this award. There was a couple I didn't list here, but the three I'm going with, we're going to start with two wide receivers. Um, Mike Evans, who we highlighted last week is having a decade of, of a thousand yard seasons um, he only put up 1.3 fantasy points in a Buccaneers win against Atlanta. So I, I would not have guessed that Mike Evans would have had a down day and Tampa would have won that game, but they did. And Evans only 1.3 fantasy points, 12 and a half points less than expected. And yet he started in 85% of leagues, more than 85% of leagues. So I feel for you if he started uh, Mike last week, but this doesn't happen very often with him. Very much so a blip in the radar. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown was another one. He had more points than, than either of the guys I'm going to mention. Um, 3.6 fantasy points in standard leagues, 11.4 points lower than expected. And he's started in almost 97% of fantasy leagues. He's one of your favorite fantasy players, Paul. I know that's 100% true. Um, do you have him on your team in our league this year? No, not in our club league. I, I did have him on a team in, in another league that I needed to win this past week to, to get into the playoffs. If, uh, if I would have won, I would have been in and uh, ended up coming up a little bit short by about like 15 to 18 points, maybe somewhere in that general range. So 
if he had a good day, I still might have fallen out of the playoffs, still might have lost that game. But his down performance uh, certainly solidified that. It came at a terrible time. I still love St. Brown. I've talked about him so much on the show. I do love the way he plays and his mentality. And he's been, he was a great fantasy receiver for me this year. But this week, coupled with uh, the previous week, uh, down days by his standards, and it really just came at the absolute worst time. Sometimes that happens in fantasy, man. A guy can just be money all year and then fall short in the, the most crucial moment. It's tough to see him on this list, but he's he definitely uh, he definitely should be on the you let the whole team down down award segment. You used to be a big Kenny Galladay guy too. I remember that. I don't even does he still exist? Uh, no clue. I I, I know he. <laughs> He had some tough times in in New York, as it seems like every receiver seems to have. I was I was a Galladay fan. Um, he had a, a couple good years there in Detroit with with when Stafford was still there. I had Galladay on in our league. It, one of the year that I ended up going to the Super Bowl and losing to Colin, but I didn't really end up playing Galladay that much because that was uh, I think it was like DK Metcalf's breakout year. I had Metcalf stashed on my bench or and the flex. So I did have Galladay on that roster, but he wasn't uh, a crucial part of that team. That was also his first year when he started that string of injuries. He was another guy that could never stay healthy. Seemed like he would play like he, like he was the Michael Thomas before Michael Thomas, you know? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, sure. He, he was definitely setting single season reception records. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking about in terms of going on the IR. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, uh, our other you let the whole team down award winner and this is a guy I, I I'm starting to switch how I feel about him uh, it's Justin Herbert he had 1.84 fantasy points this past week almost 18 points less than expected he left the game with a thumb injury so I'm not going to totally fault him but he played a good bit I think he had I think he was like eight of 17 or nine of 17 or something like that he didn't do all too well uh, when he did play he played a good bit of the game too. Yeah, this one, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm still not down on Herbert. I, I think that the, the coach there needs to go in and Brandon Staley, and I think that they need to make some changes in that organization in general. But you did allude to it. Uh, he played the whole first half, and I think maybe a little bit in the second half wasn't a game I caught a lot of. But yeah, only generating 1.84 fantasy points and a half even. You know, that's just not acceptable come this time of year if you're in the fantasy playoffs or if you're fighting for a playoff spot. I mean, he's a quarterback that you're you're setting and forgetting. You know, you're not you're not streaming quarterbacks if you got Herbert on your team. So Denver's played much better defensively in the past few weeks, second half of the year. We've mentioned that plenty in the past couple episodes here. So not to denigrate Herbert too much because I do think it was a little bit tougher matchup than it might have presented itself to be but this this can't happen man if you're if you're a fantasy manager tough tough look for the chargers in general i think that that team's going to go through a a complete makeover in the offseason they're missing herbert and keenan allen this week uh sure are Easton stick getting the start i feel like i jinxed them highlighting keenan allen maybe breaking uh that single season receptions record that they haven't been doing too hot since they haven't been doing hot all year, but specifically these two guys, uh, moving on to our next award, we've got the put me in coach award. And this is pretty simple. It's, it's a guy that you should have started. Maybe he's a guy still available on the waivers that nobody's picked up that, that could do you some good down the road. Uh, one of these guys we've mentioned once already this year, it's Jaden Reed, 16 and a half fantasy points. 
a very valid flex play from the Green Bay Packers, and he's rostered in less than half of leagues. I That surprises me, actually, because he's a top 35 receiver in standard leagues, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's ranked 36th. So that's, I mean, that's a, it might not be a guy that you start, but he could be a flex player for you, or he could be your first guy off the bench in a wide receiver room, which you need those guys, especially this time of year where you're seeing injuries all the time. I think he'll be picked up quite a good bit going forward, especially if Jordan Love keeps producing the way that he is. But I'm a big fan of of that guy. I think Christian Watson's another guy in the Packers that when he's going hot, he's a real dangerous fantasy player. But uh, Reed is probably the more consistent choice, I would say. Yeah, right now he is. I mean, Christian Watson missed this game against the Giants because of a hamstring injury. He's had so many injury problems over the the first two years. I I think Watson is the more talented guy compared to Jaden Reed, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field as much. Sometimes your your best ability is your availability, and and Jaden Reed has been available for fantasy managers much more consistently than Watson this year. And he comes up big here. Um, Hopefully there are plenty of teams out there that were able to get him into a flex role this week and and maybe it, it put them over the edge and got them into their fantasy playoffs or maybe won them a fantasy matchup. Um, he is definitely, I, I think we can definitively say when Watson is out of the lineup, Jaden Reed's absolutely the number, the, the go-to guy for Jordan Love. And that's big because, you know, we'll see it's a hamstring injury for Watson here. We'll see how much that lingers. Those injuries can tend to tend to linger and um, you can stack up weeks on the sideline as a result of it. So good pick there with Jaden Reed. Another guy that we've got here, another wide receiver. None other than OBJ, the man himself. Uh, 17.7 fantasy points last week. He now has double-digit fantasy points in four of his last five games, and he's only rostered in a little over half of fantasy weeks. He has been Lamar's most consistent, like, boom play guy. Zay Flowers has, has made a lot of them, but OBJ has been the big long touchdown passes. Whereas flowers has had more of those intermediate to immediate gains that kind of stack up. And I think he's a guy they're going to be relying on down the stretch here. They've got some tough games on their schedule. I would not hesitate whatsoever to have him in the lineup because when he's going and, and he's making plays like this, he's getting open. They're going to find more ways to get him involved. That's the kind of player he is. We saw it in the super bowl with the Rams a couple of years ago, how they used him to their benefit until he got hurt and left the game. I I was kind of clowning him a little bit earlier in the season in our, in our group chat. And um, I, he's a solid fantasy player. I, I wouldn't sleep on him. I would not sleep on him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's had an uptick in success over the last four or five games because that's the timetable that lines up with Mark Andrews injury. You know, Mark Andrews is always the Lamar's first go-to guy in this offense. You know, as long as he's playing at the level that he is, that's, that's going to be the case. But now things do open up more in the Ravens passing game with Andrews out. Uh, there's a guy that um, we'll talk about with the next award, so I won't spoil it, but you've talked about say flowers getting involved. OBJ has been able to get involved here. Lamar's forced to spread the ball around because he doesn't have um, his main target in Andrews anymore. Lamar doing a good job of it. I think we talked about how, you know, he went over 300 yards had three touchdowns here and, and OBJ was the benefactor of that success. So I think that's going hand in hand with the Andrews injury. It's, it's good to see, 
OBJ for anybody who's owned him, stashed him, and uh, I guess waited it out with him. It's good to see the the fruits of those labor pay off. Absolutely. And next we're going to switch gears to a quarterback here. Paul, uh, I'll give you the floor for your put me in coach award choice. Yeah, we'll make this an honorable mention, but I do think that the guy deserves to uh, to um, be part of this award. Just consider he's still rostered in just 8.1% of leagues. Joe Flacco has looked really good coming off the couch. Uh, 22.34 fantasy points. Nice day uh, against Jacksonville, who granted doesn't have a, a great pass defense, but you're putting up over 20 in the quarterback slot with all of the injuries that we've seen so far this year. That's absolutely a guy who's going to, who's delivering a QB one performance for you. And to uh, consider the fact that less than 10% of ESPN fantasy leagues out there even have him rostered. I think that uh, this guy can be a sneaky play. If you consider him the rest of the way, we talked about how the Browns are getting their best quarterback play of the year right now, the past two weeks with Flacco. I don't know if Flacco is going to keep playing at this level per se for the rest of the year, but I think it's worth a shot. I think that the Browns are rallying behind him and they believe in him right now after these games. And um, we'll see best of luck to him. I mean, this is a guy who can get hot. You know, he was much younger back in Baltimore, but he's proven that he can get hot at the right time. That's how they won that Super Bowl. So we'll see if he does the same thing here for the rest of the year. You mentioned the Ravens passing game and missing Mark Andrews. Well, the Ravens this week are going to be contributing our Elvis Presley impersonator award winner. I love this award. This might be my favorite award to give out. Uh, I just, we gave it to a guy who is impersonating quote unquote, an injured player or somebody who's not in the lineup. And I'm gesticulating with my hands so much. I feel like Tommy DeVito's agent right now. Uh, <laughs> but many Tommy Cutlets, Tommy Cutlets, Tommy Cutlets. Uh, but no, we, so the Elvis impersonator award winner, it's, it's going to a guy who is filling in for a player who is a big name player. Theoretically he doesn't necessarily have to be, but they're impersonating that player. They're doing a hell of a job of it. Uh, this is more of a joke award name than anything, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Isaiah Lake, Isaiah likely, Isaiah likely. Yes. There we go. Isaiah likely of the Baltimore Ravens um, impersonating Mark Andrews this past week, 16.8 fantasy points started in just over a third of fantasy leagues. He had a great game. Uh, I remember when the Andrews injury initially happened, there was a slew of people that had it added likely in leagues, of course, and he didn't really get started too hot. He, he didn't, have a huge game right away, uh, but had an incredible game this past week. And if they can keep him involved in the passing game, if they can continue to find ways to help him benefit their offense, they're going to be in a good spot. Uh, before this game and in the prior four games that Andrews was hurt, he had 13.2 fantasy points combined over four weeks. So, he outdid that number in one game today against the Rams through a couple big plays, five receptions for 87 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. I'd expect them to keep getting the ball in his hands. Yeah, I think they will. Uh, likely is I think one of the few tight ends out there that can, um, I, that you could classify as a handcuff tight end. Uh, we kind of use that term more frequently for running backs. You know, you take the backup of a, of a good starting running back, you call him a handcuff. Um, he can slide in and get an RB one type volume. If the starter goes down, 
likely is never going to produce to the same degree as Mark Andrews, but he, you can see him now over the, the past two games that they have played in full since Andrews left. So Andrews left in week 11 against Cincinnati. Baltimore's had a buy in there. So that's why they've only played two full games since then. Um, he, he has had his, his best game, two best games, theoretically uh, four for 40 against the chargers and then five for 83 and a touchdown as we saw against the Rams here. I do expect the volume to continue to tick up a little bit. Maybe those targets can um, inch closer to double digits as he's seen six and seven targets over the past two weeks, respectively. Good for him. Um, I do think that people probably rushed to pick him up after Andrews went down, but we're a little bit hesitant to start him. Tight end's so tough, man. If you don't have one of the elite ones, it's it's so tough. A lot of people have to have to stream their guys and, and likely might be a viable option the rest of the way. Absolutely. Speaking of tight ends, you had a tight end for this award as well. I, I think I know where you're going with this. Uh, this is a, a little bit of a gag just because earlier in the show, I did say that uh, George Kittle was the, the best tight end of our generation. And you quickly corrected me to say Gronk, which you are correct on. Um, I was only focusing on tight ends that we're currently seeing play now. So I'll give Hunter Henry an honorable mention as he does come down with two touchdowns and 17 and a half fantasy points to say he was um, the Elvis and Presley impersonator, honorable mention impersonating Rob Gronkowski. So I hope that that is not too sacrilegious to you as a Patriots fan to compare Hunter Henry to Rob Gronkowski, but that's where I was going with it. Solid day for Hunter Henry. Nonetheless. I, I, so it's not, it's not a like legitimate comparison. Obviously, it's Rob Gronkowski. That's the greatest tight end of all time. But I will say, since Hunter Henry came to New England, I feel like, I mean, I can't think of besides the Gesicki walk off touchdown against the Bills earlier in the year. I can't think of any other like big touchdown playmakers as far as the passing game goes it's been hunter henry for like four years and i i hope i hope he stays because he's been the one consistent like good piece of the offense the last couple of years uh in the passing game and and he seems like he sort of fits in new england he doesn't seem like he wants to leave whereas a lot of guys in new england are like malik cunningham got picked up today uh, by the Ravens. That was a whole thing because uh, Trent Brown was like posting on his Instagram. Um, you'll go somewhere where your talent is appreciated. And, and that sort of caught my attention. So there's a lot going on in new England right now, man. It's not good. And, and Hunter Henry has been a, a small bright spot this year. Let's yeah, move on. Like, go ahead. Like Hunter Henry. Yeah. Just one point in there before we, before we do move on. I just feel like Hunter Henry always just has games like this every every couple of weeks just when you'll pick him up then maybe you spot start him he'll have those like two or three three point days in a row you'll drop him and then he'll have a game like this like he's always due for a couple games like this a year you are right there's some level of consistency in there um i just go back to me trading away george kittle because i thought henry was going to be a consistent (laughs) fantasy play because like nope mac jones couldn't get the ball to anybody else so i just figured all right he'll throw it to him like 10 times a game and it didn't work out very well when it happens most of the time for those of you who who don't know uh patrick demar here traded george (laughs) kittle for Najee harris early in the year i needed the running back steps 
and was convinced that it was a good move. The rest of the league ridiculed him for it. And it just so happens that the rest of the league was right in this sense. Hey, Sorry, I made the playoffs. Up, Patrick. You I did make the playoffs, the playoffs and I and I did not. And you're two and zero in bets against me on the fifth and long podcast. So you definitely deserve to do more of the talking. Yeah, that's right. You know what's up. All right. Don't <laughs> don't don't get too big in my head now. <laughs> Love you. Uh so all right, we're gonna go to our MVP award winner. Pretty self-explanatory. And we have a couple of honorable mentions here, and then an overall MVP. So our Second honorable mention, David Njoku, the pride of Wayne, New Jersey. 24.1 fantasy points, 15.2 points over expected. He's Joe Flacco's favorite target right now. Uh, Harrison Bryant got some love last week, but Njoku went off in this game. And lately, he's been doing some real beastly things as a tight end this year. He looks like bigger, stronger. He's not afraid to just like stiff arm somebody into the ground and, and, turn into a yak monster. I love watching him play then. And, and I hope he keeps doing things in Cleveland because they've, they've relied on him heavily this season and, and he's showed up. They try to get him the ball a lot. And I do agree that he is very, very good once he's got the ball in his hands. I think at different points this year, he's suffered from the drops a little bit. Um, had him on, on my team in our league and, uh, I wish this performance would have come last week or else I might be in the, might be in the playoffs as a result, but uh, not to be good performance, I guess one week after I needed him. but uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Two touchdowns in this one. We'll see, you know, Flacco kind of latched onto him, new quarterback there. Maybe uh, there's a connection brewing. That'd be interesting to monitor, especially Amari Cooper um, has looked solid, uh, but he's dealt with like a couple of tough hits here and there over the past couple of weeks. Hasn't missed any time per se, but he's been dinged up here or there. You wonder if Flacco maybe maybe goes to the security blanket a little bit more. I know Elijah Moore stepped up as well. Be interesting to see if there's any shift in basically the division of labor. I'm using all kinds of Tomlinisms now. In the division of labor among the receivers and and where the target share goes from here with Flacco. Oh, Tomlinism. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I, I will say this, despite my feelings about him as a head coach, some of the things that he say he says are, are catchy. All right. You said it, not me. <laughs> uh, we're going to stick with the tight end position for our next honorable mention. Sir Evan Ingram of Jacksonville. I don't know why I'm talking about him like he's a knight in Game of Thrones or something, but he had a, an awesome game with the Jags. He's come on as of late and has turned into a big target for Trevor Lawrence. There's been some inconsistency week to week at wide receiver. There is it Calvin Ridley is the number one. Is it Christian Kirk? Well, Christian Kirk was hurt for this game. He's now on the IR. Uh, I definitely missed him in our league. And Evan Ingram was the beneficiary of that sentiment. 27 points. Like I mentioned, um, if I'm not mistaken, he had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, he had two touchdowns, 11 catches, 95 yards. And I mean, last week he had, or the week before last, he had 18.7 points. So that's two games back to back, right around that 20 point area. The Jags are in a playoff race right now. They've got two teams nipping at their heels and their division. They're feeling the pressure and they're going to be aggressive on the football field. Doug Peterson likes to go for it on fourth down a lot. They're not afraid to put the ball in Evan Ingram's hands, send it his way on third down, uh, second and long in the red area. 
he's a great fantasy play and and james Kotopinski, my man you eliminated me this past week and you were stoked that evan ingram had a day and boy did he do it so congrats to kano congrats to evan ingram on being an honorable mention for the mvp award this week as well English has been real good past couple of weeks, as you said. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to add to to what you said, of course, is talking about that injury of Christian Kirk. I think uh, a lot of fantasy managers who had Calvin Ridley were hoping that the volume would shift to Ridley. And I know Ridley still had a, a lot of targets, just wasn't able to haul them all in this past week. But maybe just maybe we overlooked the top benefactor of the Christian Kirk injury. And maybe it's Evan Ingram and he can get back into that top five tight end status that he was in. Last year, if you remember, he had, he had a lot of games like this last year, was a, was a highly drafted tight end this year. And maybe this Kirk injury is going to push him back up into that tier. Interesting to see as we hit the final stretch. So now we come to our final award, our MVP award winner. He was an honorable mention last week, co-MVP award winner, if I'm not mistaken, actually. And he had another solid day this week. He's almost, he's about as perfect a fantasy player as you could come up with for the position he plays, considering how he plays it. It's Debo Samuels, 32 and a half fantasy points last week, 18.2 points over expected. He has 68.3 combined fantasy points the last two weeks. He had a 30 point day um, back to back games. And <laughs> you play against him, if you, if you see him and, in the lineup of the team that you're facing, I'm sure it's not a very reassuring feeling. You probably don't feel confident. Um, He only had one carry in the previous game against Seattle, but it went for a touchdown. Uh, So far this year, he has five rushing touchdowns. We talked about it earlier in the show. He has the most rushing touchdowns all time for a wide receiver. He only has four receiving touchdowns, which is the interesting um, part of it to me, but I mean, it's not like they're not throwing the ball his way. They get it to him all the time. Seven receptions for 150, 149 yards, excuse me, uh, in the win against Seattle. If the Niners offense keeps working the way it is and Purdy keeps, if they keep finding, if they keep trusting Purdy and they keep trying to make big plays, Debo's going to be a guy that they look to for that a lot. And this is going to sound crazy but I feel like he has another level of fantasy play to go to. That's not me being a homer. Maybe it is a little bit because, I mean, you see the South Carolina flag here. But genuinely, man, he's he's a guy that can break a big play at any time. I'm surprised they don't use him in special teams more often, actually. I know he was returning punts in the Eagles game, but that's not something he does all the time. Well, they probably don't want to use him in special teams or don't want to use him too much there to risk further injury. I mean, this guy, this is a guy who has dealt with some injuries in his NFL career, and you see a lot of injuries pile up on the special teams plays. Uh, he's only missed two games due to injury this year. I guess three technically because I think he left the Cleveland game with yeah. an injury earlier. That helped, him, it, though, having that bye week after that two-game stretch. He, he got the right. extra rest of week in there. Right, it is interesting that you say you think that there's another gear in here for Debo because I, I actually I don't completely disagree. What is alarming if you look at his underlying numbers as a fantasy manager, he's only received double digit targets once this year. That was back week three against the Giants. 
Part of that is due to the fact that he does um, get a lot of usage on the ground as well. So he's picking up uh, yards there. But I think that that's where the extra level can come from. If his volume increases, that's when we can see him reach that new level because his yards per catch are insane. Last week, 21 yards per catch, seven catches for 149. The week before, he had four catches for 116. That's 29 yards per catch. Um, seven for 79 in week 12 against Seattle. That wasn't crazy. But if you go back to week 11, he had three for 63. That's 21 yards per catch. There's a guy who can who can consistently average close to the 20 yards per catch mark. That's insane. So that next level for Debo will come with more volume. It's difficult in the San Francisco lineup because there are so many valid pass catchers like a George Kittle, like a Brandon Ayuk, or even a Christian McCaffrey coming out of the backfield. But that is his recipe or that's his formula to potentially reach the next level. Let's see those targets increase for next year. Let's see him rack up double-digit catches. Still doesn't have a game this year with double-digit catches. That's the only knock I have on him. But he's so explosive and so dynamic as a playmaker that he is able, he's so efficient, he's able to maximize the points that he gets whenever he touches the ball. Great pick for MVP. Go Gamecocks. Go Debo. Hell of a game. To your point, his average yards per reception this season, 16.4 yards. I will. So I'm going to give you, I want you to, to try to guess who the other five guys are ahead of him. Yeah, uh, I, would, I would guess uh, that Tyreek is one of them. No, no, he's not. Okay. So I'll give you, I'll give you, can I get a hint? Like just get a division that this guy is in before, before I start, just go so, guess blindly. So there's five names. I will give you, um, there are two Texans on there. Tank Dell is okay. not one of them. Okay. Well then Nico Collins has to be right. Yeah. Okay. So Nico Collins is, um, and then if Tank Dell's not, um, I, I, I guess is is Noah Brown the other one? Yeah, that's okay. that. He's a sure bet for me to start now this weekend. By the way, okay. <laughs> after seeing this, uh, interesting. Then, Probably would not have leapt to both those guys. Then there's uh, one guy in the NFC South. One guy in the NFC South. He's an award winner this week. He's an award winner, but oh, not well, necessarily for a good reason. Not necessarily good. Okay, so I, what, what it seems that you're alluding to is Mike Evans. Yeah, yeah, makes uh, sense. He's at so he's just above Debo at 16.5 yards. Nico's at 16.7. Noah Brown is actually first, 20.9 yards a catch, which is crazy. Right. Um, DK Metcalf is third. Uh, DK I should have gotten that's 16.9 points, and his teammate. Brandon Ayuk is second in the NFL at 18.8 yards. He's the only one in the top six or uh, like Noah Brown is the only one in the top six that has less than 40 receptions. So you could just say that's big boom or bust, small sample sample size. size. Yeah. Yeah. In reality, Brandon Ayuk, if you looked at like the qualifying receivers would have the most yards per catch in the league, which is crazy. That's that Niners offense, man. That's yeah. that Shanahan offense. I think you can attribute it, attribute it to that. Yeah, Never. a lot of that a lot of talented pass catchers, man. That's the point that goes back to it. it's tough to rack up that volume when there's so many play, uh, talented playmakers in that O. Remember when uh, the Shanahan offense turned Matt Ryan into an MVP winner in Atlanta? Yeah, 
I mean, you remember when they got Jimmy Garoppolo to the Super Bowl? Hey, man. All right. He could have done the same thing in New England. All right. Like, I, we, we believed in that guy for certain reasons. I don't know why. Not anymore. Bill, <laughs> Bill believed in him. Robert Kraft was the one who wanted to stick with Tom, right? Rightfully so. He won. Yeah. How many more Super Bowls after that? Like, I think, didn't he win at least two? <clears throat> what, 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 when it, three. That was uh that was the, the he would have won the the one against Atlanta he would have won the one against the Rams. The year uh, he played was the, I want to say that was the Atlanta year if I'm not mistaken because okay. that was, yeah it was because the, the uh, Deflate Gate stuff was was um the year before so he served the suspension at the beginning of that year and that's why he played. Got it. Got it. Okay. People want to say that Belichick can't win without Brady but he went three and one with like Jacoby Brissett and uh, Garoppolo. And we had, I, I think there might've been one other guy that played a little bit, or it might've just been that. I don't, I think it was just those two, but anyways. That's, also like keep, keep in mind that um, not to take away from Tom Brady and not to get too deep down this rabbit hole, but like Tom Brady was not MVP type Tom Brady, at least when you guys won that first Super Bowl against the the greatest show on turf against no, the Rams. Like they, no. they were just like average numbers. And that was also, if I remember correctly, that was um, that was the first year Brady had had come in. So yeah, he came Drew in Bledsoe, like Drew Bledsoe early was in the year, part of year. The year too. Yeah, yeah. So. And then Bledsoe actually Brady got hurt in the divisional and Bled, game, and Bledsoe, Bledsoe beat won. The Steelers. Yeah, he won he the AFC the championship yeah. against the Steelers. I, I remember that yeah. game super well. I think Troy Brown had like a punt return touchdown, and then a, a big. You remember passing. that game? Yeah, I was. Well, You've only been. I was. Yeah, I was like. That was like. 2000. Four. I was like four, three, four. Yeah. Oh, I, you must be, yeah, I forgot you're a couple years older than me. I would have so, been, I was like two. Crazy <laughs> I don't story. remember a thing. Yeah. Crazy story, actually. That Super Bowl season, the Patriots. So I lived at the time, I lived close enough to the stadium where for cheap entertainment, my mom would take my brother and I nearby and watch them do construction on Gillette. They were still playing in Foxborough Stadium at the time. They had just like started doing the switch, essentially. And we're there one day in like, it's probably like March or April or something. I don't remember, but it was after the season ended and the team buses start pulling into the, the, the parking lot. And my mom, we were listening to them on the radio earlier that day, uh, do the presentation for them meeting the president at the white house. So my mom, like a light bulb flickers in her head. She goes into the pro shop. She buys a, a football and a helmet and she like, dragged my brother and I out of the car and she just stood us at the exit to the player's parking lot and had us hold those with a Sharpie each and every single player on the team signed to both. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, awesome. Good for you, man. Way way to think on your feet, mom. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl's a, Cheryl's a smart, very forward thinking woman. She knows when to, (laughs) she knows when to act. That's for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably my favorite piece of sports memorabilia, uh, for sure. Oh, that's an awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. It's real crazy. I, yeah, that's a good one. Something I think about often. We've got another fantasy football segment we're doing this week. So this is inspired by the, uh, the perfect lineup essentially each week that gets released by, um, the NFL. They essentially will let you know after the week has ended who the, uh, best performers from the week were. And it's really, it's really difficult to have a perfect lineup of players in terms of, uh, having every single highest score from each position. It's almost impossible actually, but 
Paul here is going to try his best to do it for us. So, Kamish, you're the expert here, my brother. Where are we starting at, and who's our guy? I'm going to do my best. Um, I really want to go with Matt Stafford here uh, for for my quarterback. Uh, you know, I think that there's you could go with a Jalen Hurts or like a Patrick Mahomes, but we've seen those guys struggle a little, a little bit as of late. Um, and I think, you know, the Rams offense has put up 30 points in each of the past three games. They got a matchup with Washington, who's uh, has not a great pass defense this week. Cooper Cup came back on strong last week. I, I trust in Matt Stafford and what that offense is doing. I want to throw him at my quarterback spot spot this week. I think that he uh, should be good for a 25-point day, maybe push 30 points. So go with Matty Stafford. I like that. I like that. Potential future Hall of Famer, Matt Stafford. As we discussed, <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Who's up next? Let's go, to, let's go to running backs. Let's Yeah, let's shift over to the running backs. I mean, the RB1, he's the best running back in the game. This one's a pretty easy. This guy should be, um, if we did this perfect lineup every week, Christian McCaffrey would be my RB1 every week, regardless of matchup. But this week, fortunately, he has an absolutely great fantasy matchup against the Arizona Cardinals, who I think are 30th in, in terms of fantasy points against for running backs. So it's a top five matchup for CMC. Not like it really matters anyway. Dude rushed for nearly 150 yards last week. Um, can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. There's not much more to say. CMC at my RB1. Solid pick, and I don't, I don't blame you for it. Is yeah, your RB2? Some, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, you know, the boring pick uh, is is where you got to go. The obvious one is where you got to go. RB2 here. Um, I'm going B. John Robinson. I, I think fantasy managers who have stuck with him throughout the course of this fantasy season are start starting to finally see that payoff. And Bijan's put a couple of, of good, solid games together. And he's got a great matchup against the Carolina Panthers rush defense, who I believe is 31st in terms of uh, opponents, opponent points against in terms of running backs. So we've got Christian McCaffrey going up against the Cardinals. We've got Bijan Robinson against the Panthers. I think that this is one uh, where Arthur Smith will definitely try to take the ball out of Desmond Ritter's hands and just win this one solely on the run game. Let's get Bijan Robinson in there as the RB2. Okay. I like it. I like it. And there's no running back in our flex position, correct? Correct. Our flex position is going to be a receiver. Okay. Um, Let's move on to the receivers then. All right. Sounds good. Wide receiver one, once again, similar to the Christian McCaffrey story. It doesn't matter the matchup, the way this guy has played this year. He's the wide receiver one. If we were to do this exercise every week, Tyreek Hill, if he's playing, I don't care if they say he's limited. I don't care anything like that. If Tyreek Hill, if they say Tyreek Hill is going to play, he's my wide receiver one for this fastest guy in the game. So dynamic stretches the field. Doesn't, I don't even know who the dolphins played this week off the top of my head. Doesn't matter. Tyreek Hill wide receiver one. Is he, is he playing this week? I believe he is. I, I didn't They're see playing the Cowboys, by the way. I didn't see a or, uh, des- designation no. next to his name. No, they're playing the jets. My apologies. They're playing the jets jets, which is not a very easy matchup. Uh, it does list him as questionable, but I'm pretty sure he'll be good to go considering that he came back into that game um, for part of the second half there against the Titans. Obviously if he doesn't play like then you take him out, but I, you know, he's been so good all year that if they say that he's playing, he's my guy. All right. Who's your other two wide receivers since you're using one for your flex? 
right. I'm going to go with AJ Brown here against what should be a, a pretty good matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. Who don't know off the top of my head what their opponent rank is, but um, I think that once again, I, I did say this last week on the podcast and it kind of backfired um, as I did lose the bet to you, but I expect Seattle to, to come out a little bit pissed off. And I think that they're going to learn from this adversity. AJ Brown has kind of voiced his displeasure at times when not getting the football. And I think Jalen Hurts is going to be looking his way quite a bit. I think that Seattle had trouble against Dallas a couple of weeks ago, stopping that passing game. I think that they'll struggle to stop passing game of the Philadelphia Eagles this go around. I like AJ Brown to have a boom game, potentially a multi-touchdown game over a hundred yards. I like him from my wide receiver too. Not a bad pick either. I, I feel like the wide receiver position is extremely, uh, extremely projectable. Like unless someone has a really bad day, you pretty much know who's going to get what and, and who's going to do well. Well, you know, it's AJ Brown too. And it's a little bit of the opposite of the discussion we had recently with Devo. Targets have been there the past two weeks, 13 targets each of the past two weeks. I know that Hertz is looking his way. You know, like I said, there, there was a little bit of a disconnect between them in the first couple of weeks. And um, we've kind of seen that vocalized. We, we've seen that uh, depicted on the sidelines, some arguments between Hertz and AJ Brown more than once this year. But at the end of the day, Hertz knows where to get the ball. He knows who his number one target is. And if he's going to be seeing 12, 13 targets a game, I got a lot of confidence throwing him in there at wide receiver too. Certainly don't blame you for that. Certainly don't blame me for that. All right. We got another wide receiver in here. This is a, I mean, if you somehow drafted this trio, <laughs> if you somehow have Tyree kill it's AJ collusion. Brown and the it's guy that in your league. it's if collusion you or you're playing with some real unaware fantasy players. Could be a sure four, are. four team league. I don't know. I actually know a kid that's in a six team league, but I've heard uh, those are fun actually. And his team, it looks fun to have his team. <laughs> so he showed me his team. It's it's quite impressive to have all those names on, on one roster. Um, sticking with the receivers, though, for our flex play, this is another guy that if you have partnered this guy with an A.J. Brown and or Tyreek Hill, credit to you. I don't know how you did it, but C.D. Lamb is going to be our flex here. I... Based on my bet with Patrick that I've already made as I try to win a bet finally here in the fifth and long podcast, I'm taking Buffalo to win this game against Dallas, which means I think Dallas will be playing from behind and therefore will have to pass. I expect it to be a pretty much an offensive shootout or a big offensive showing on both sides. And CeeDee Lamb is Dak's go-to guy. We talk about targets. I mean, this is a guy who racks up targets. 10 last week against Philadelphia, which is really impressive in and of itself, considering the fact that they were ahead for most of that game and were able to run the ball uh, a lot in the second half. But the week before against Seattle, 17 targets, 12 catches, 116 yards. He's also had a touchdown every week since week 10. C.D. Lamb has been one of the best receivers, period, in the NFL this year and in fantasy. He's my flex play. If you have those three receivers in your lineup, my God. I, I have fear for your opponent. I would feel sorry <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. And I would be extremely envious of you too. I mean, like CD's been special this year. He's been Dak's go-to guy by a long shot, uh, rightfully so. But I was talking about him earlier this year. You remember when I said um, if he had a like a better quarterback, 
that you could see some crazy numbers from him. Well, he didn't get a better quarterback. Dak just went up a level. And as a result, CD's paid some pretty awesome returns from it so far. Um, moving on to the tight end position. I, I like this pick. I like this pick a lot. He's been a, a fantasy darling this year, some weeks. So, so let's hear it for your, your tight end choice and your perfect lineup, Paul. They call Iowa University tight end you. And uh, we know that Iowa is, is known for their defense this year and, and cashing the unders and in, in football games, but they're also known for the tight ends that they produce. And it seems that they have produced another dandy of a tight end. Rookie Sam Laporta is the tight end for this year. He has been exceptionally good, probably went undrafted in a lot of leagues. Shout out to one of my buddies, Connor Rogers. If Connor's listening to this, Connor was preaching Sam Laporta all throughout the offseason because of his ties to Iowa, because he's coming from Iowa, same school that George Kittle went to, TJ Hawkinson. It's just a, uh, a hotbed for tight end breeding, if you will. And I love Sam Laporta's matchup here. He squares it off against the Denver Broncos, who are the 31st ranked team in uh, opponent tight end points per game points against. I've been butchering that all night. Great matchup for Sam Laporta, who has shown the ability to put up 20 plus point games in fantasy this year, as he had just 26 points two weeks ago. And with Travis Kelsey not dominating and the Chiefs not looking quite the same, like we talked about early, it's not a slam dunk that Travis Kelsey is just going to be your tight end one every week. Couple that with the fact that TJ Hawkinson, of course, Minnesota's had some quarterback problems over the past few weeks. I think Sam Laporte is going to be your tight end one at the end of this week. I think he, he can push 20 points again here in a uh, in a Saturday night game. That game is at 8-15 as Saturday night football kicks off this week. Very excited for that. I'm Sam excited Laporte for that, too. My tight end. Sam Laporte Absolutely. is a great pick, but I'm, I'm stoked for the Saturday games. I've been waiting a while for those, actually, especially with uh, college football dying down. Yep, absolutely. That time of year. It's, I like how the NFL does that, where they, they're they able to fill that day of the week. You know, it's like us us as Americans. We can, I mean, God forbid there's a Saturday in December where there's no football. I uh, So I see your defense special teams pick here, and I want to let you know that it's okay. Like, you can move on to the next week. It's all right. You don't have to hold it against my team. I know who we're playing this week. Um, you're going with the Kansas City Chiefs for your defense special teams unit. They're playing my New England Patriots. I already know where you're going with this, but let's hear it. Well, I mean, I'm just not buying into to Bailey Zappi and the, I the Pats either. offense looking decent against against the the Steelers from the past week. But you know the real reason I went with the Chiefs here? I was between two teams. Okay. I was the Chiefs are facing the Pats, as you mentioned, who are the according to our ESPN ranked the 29th. The Pats are the 29th team in opponent points for defense. I'm going to stop trying to do that. They're, they're a good matchup. Okay. Bottom line. But I was between the Chiefs against your Pats and the Saints against Tommy DeVito and the Giants. Oh. And I thought based on all of the Tommy DeVito talk that we had on our previous episode of the podcast, you would blow more of a gasket if I took the Saints because they're facing Tommy DeVito and the Giants. So I thought it was actually the lesser of two evils here to go with Chiefs against Pats. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. That's really funny, actually. Um, yeah, I would say what I would say to that is I think when Mac Jones is out there, they're the ideal team to have a defense against. Certainly one of them, right? You can expect to pick every single game pretty much. You're not going to expect more than like 
160, 170 passing yards on a good day. But there's something there with Zappy. He's he's just he's not afraid to throw the deep ball. And Mac like didn't have one. Zappy kind of does. It's not great, but he's he'll at least be able to like make take a few shots downfield. There's something there. I, I I feel like we'll score a few points against Kansas City. Maybe not a lot, but we'll score a few. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys might. And the, the other thing about the, that always works in the Chiefs defense's favor here. So most of the time, I know it hasn't been the case that much as of late in the past couple weeks this year, but most of the time, because of how good the Chiefs offense is, they're playing from ahead. So that forces the opposing team to pass, drop back in more obvious passing situations where you're more likely to get interceptions because the defense can pin their ears back, um, only rush three or four, and just kind of flood the secondary with defensive backs, creates higher chance for picks, which I do see happening in this game. I think that it's a guarantee Zappy throws at least one. I think that the Chiefs are probably going to take have at least two or three takeaways in this game. That's another reason, just knowing how the game script will probably go in this one, why I like the Chiefs' D. If the Pats have if the Pats have less than two takeaways, I think they win this game, is what I'll say. But I I would say Zappy to throw a pick is a good bet. He threw one last week, and it, it could have been a pick six, honestly. It it should have been, if not for Ezekiel Elliott making a, a crazy chase down tackle. Um, let's hear it for your next pick for, for the kickers. Show love to kickers, by the way, man. If if you got a good kicker and he racks up fantasy points for you, that can be like one of your highest point scorers week to week. Okay, uh, people are going to think I'm just picking this guy because he's the Steelers kicker. Um, but I would caution that, believe me, the maybe the one who's been the most critical of the Steelers on this podcast, definitely the most critical of the Steelers yeah. on this podcast. Has on been, this show. But I've been, I've been crazy critical about the Steelers just in general compared to your average Joe. And so no one can claim um, favoritism when I'm going with Chris Boswell as my kicker here. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, part of the reason here, um, he's kicking in a dome this week at Indianapolis, kicking inside. I always look for a kicker that's going to be able to avoid the elements. No rain, no wind, nothing. So I like that fact for Boswell here. Indianapolis's defense hasn't looked that great. Just gave up 30 points to the Bengals last week. They've they've kind of been gashed in multiple games throughout the year. And I think that the Steelers, though they have a lot of woes and struggles on offense, might be able to move the ball against Indianapolis, but because of the inconsistencies of quarterback play, I see that being difficult for them to finish off drives. So I like that for Boswell's pers- from Boswell's perspective and the fact that he kicks in a dome this week. Give me Chris Boswell for the kicker one on this fantasy week, week 15. And that's my, that's my lineup. I don't hate that pick. I don't hate that pick. I... I think you guys have a good chance to win this week, but it's going to have to be like a, it's going to have to be like a weird game. It's going to ha- you're going to have to win like, like, like 20 to like 13 or something like that. Like 20 to like 16. You know, rock fight one score games are pretty much the only way that, that we do win. Uh, we'll have to force turnovers. We'll have to get some pressure on Minshew. We haven't really gotten much pressure the past couple weeks i think that that's something i forgot to bring up and when we talked about the analysis of that game um got to get pressure haven't really been forcing turnovers uh, you know that's kind of the only way the steelers have proven that they can consistently win games this year is when they do force turnovers and win those ugly games so they can do that yeah i give them a i give them a chance i don't really know what to expect at all from pittsburgh the way they've looked over the past few weeks but we shall see 
I, I think he'll bounce back this week. I think I think Tomlin lights a fire under everybody's asses this week at practice, and and you guys shape it up. That's what I'd think. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We're not making a bet about that, by the way. <laughs> no, we're not. I think. I think if anything, it might be taking the Colts. You would take the Steelers. <laughs> I, I'm leaning. I would lean Steelers on that, but it won't be. It wouldn't be by much. If I had to guess the spread right now, I would say it's probably like it's in Indianapolis. It's probably like Colts one and a half, probably or something like that. I think it's. I, I can tell, tell you right now, actually, exactly what it is. Uh, if you give me just a second. It's Colts one and a half exactly. You got <laughs> I just, it. Yeah, yes. I looked it up. Yes. Uh, that's it's your second. That's your second. Yeah, I think spot on. I wasn't cheating either. Like I, I swear I wasn't. Um, I would tell you if I was. I would. I'm honest. But I can read you, Patrick. Don't worry. I know you weren't. Yeah, you're. You. I've seen you play poker before. You can read people sometimes. I played much as of late. I played a little bit on Sunday, actually, but I got to get the got to get the game going back again. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Are there any other games this week you're really really looking forward to? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to those Saturday games. Um, obviously, I'm hoping to see the Steelers pull out a win against the Colts. That Denver. Detroit game should be interesting on Saturday as well. But I think uh, the game that really could provide a lot of uh, fantasy fireworks, so to speak, is that game, uh, Buffalo versus Dallas. I think that we could see a true shootout yeah. there. I'm expecting a huge day out of CeeDee Lamb. Josh Allen, this could be one of those games where he throws for 300, you know, rushes for another 50, 70 yards. I think he's going to be called upon to do a lot. So, um just the way Buffalo has kind of looked the past couple of weeks, I think that, you know, there's, it's clearly a different team than we saw in the first half of the year. And Dallas has proven that they're one of the best teams in the NFL. So Buffalo Dallas might be the one I'm looking forward to the most, not just because we have a, a wager on it now, but I, I think that fantasy wise, it should be really good. And just in general, as a NFL fan, you should be able to sit back and watch a good one there. That game's going to have some playoff feel to it for sure. I, that, that, that would have been the first game I looked at. I'm interested to see Ravens Jaguars, but I feel like, the Ravens could run away with it. Now that I say that they'll probably lose by two scores, <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess like Bengals Vikings will be okay. Colts Steelers will be all right. Broncos lions could be interesting though. I could see, um, I could I'm see looking forward to that game. Definitely. Yeah, I am too. I could see Denver. It would be a crazy swing if Denver won that game and, and the Chiefs Sunday morning in new England, just, feel a little bit of extra pressure to win with the Broncos nipping at their heels. Um, all right. Wow. We covered a lot of stuff this week. A lot of stuff. We, we got into a bunch of different topics, not just football as well. Paul, man, that's been a good one. Plenty more good things coming too. I like, I like this perfect lineup segment. Let's stick with it. Yeah, man. Uh, Appreciate you having me as always. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. I hope people enjoy both of our podcast episodes this week. Got a lot of content for you. We appreciate everybody out there listening and giving us feedback. Absolutely. So one more time before we go, the perfect lineup for you fantasy managers this week, courtesy of the commish, Matt Stafford, Christian McCaffrey, B. John Robinson, Tyreek Hill, AJ Brown, CD lamb, Sam Laporta, the Kansas city defense, and then Chris Boswell at the kicker position. Interesting. I'm going to, we should track these by the way and, and see how they do. 
that's good, man. Watch this team combine for like 70 points. It can't. <laughs> it can't, right? With Tyreek and CMC in the same lineup together. And, and CD. Can, right? That's like, that's like yeah. 70, 80 points right there for you, theoretically. I mean, probably probably like 70. Yeah. The picks that I really, really want to do good to, to make myself look good. If Bijan has a really good day, that'll make me look good. Stafford as well. I think Laporta and then maybe like Boswell. But Laporta, Bijan, and Stafford will be those are the X factors, so to speak, because those, those aren't necessarily the slam dunks every week, like a Tyreek and a CD and a, a McCaffrey are. I get you. I get you. All right. Fifth and long fans. Thanks for tuning in folks. We appreciate y'all. Um, leave us feedback. You can find us again on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can find a full unedited episodes on YouTube as well. Might be a little bit of editing this week, just a little bit, but it's okay. Uh, and yeah, Stay tuned on the lookout for, for more episodes next week as well as we approach the holiday season. Paul, my friend, thank you, Kamish. Signing off. Until next time. Until next time, indeed. I was going to say the same thing. Have a great night, Fifth and Long fans, or afternoon, whenever you're choosing to enjoy this. And we'll see you again on the next episode of the Fifth and Long Podcast. Thank you.